Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman. I'm the host, and we are up to episode 92. Uh, as always, thank you to Tea Leaf Tea, uh, La Petit Chocolat, and Yeasty Boys. Um, this is a conversation with a guy called Scott Blanks. He's um, He's been doing the rounds in the media a little bit lately because it, uh, he is the... Uh, venue uh, owner and organiser and runner of the Classic Comedy Club in Auckland and they've just celebrated their 20th anniversary. So we did talk a bit about that, but Scott is, um, yeah, well he's known as the sort of godfather of the New Zealand comedy scene, so he's a a promoter, a guy who organises shows not just for his venue, but um, you know, he'll put them into other venues and he's been one of the masterminds behind the, the comedy festival. So. I talked to him about uh, you know his role as a promoter. Um, we really talk about the the history across the last two decades, two and a half decades of of New Zealand comedy. You know, like when he when he started actively being involved, uh, there really wasn't much of a scene, and there were variety shows, and there was the whole sort of you know the Billy T thing had happened and all of that sort of stuff. But there was just such a huge gap from that to whatever next, and so he's he's been one of the people that's overseen and ushered in you know the, the that next generation that now kind of prop up all the shows on TV3 um, things like the panel and stuff like that and, and, and um, obviously seven days and and all of those sorts of things uh, he's known those people in some cases given them their first give gigs given them notes on their first or second gigs uh, and he still runs the venue and he oversees you know almost all aspects of it. Some days he's the guy on the sound desk or the guy doing the lights. Often he's the guy ripping the ticket at the door still or pouring you a drink. Uh, and he travels around and sees a lot of comedy. So we talked about all these things that he's done, all these people that he's met, all these uh, amazing shows that he's had a hand in. Uh, and we talked a bit, you know, about my my sort of thing with comedy, the stuff I like and the reviews that I've done, some of the trouble that I've got into with New Zealand comedians. Um, Scott's a, a very astute comedy fan and critic. Uh, yeah, I, I love talking to him. I'd only met him one other time. We've corresponded a little bit, but I'd only actually met him in the flesh one other time. So, yeah, I put in a last-minute call to have a chat to him, and uh, I'm really glad. I always wanted to have a talk to him, but this was just at a time when he happened to be in Wellington. So we had a big old chat about all things comedy and you're going to get to hear it now. This is me chatting with Scott Blanks. I said I've been talking to people patting me on the back for weeks. It'd mm. be quite nice just to have a conversation <laughs> um, that's a little bit different yeah, yeah. from the ones I've been having. I said, uh, and I've known Simon for long enough and um, we respect each other for what we do mm. um, and also respect that people have different opinions. Well this, this could be a good place to start. We've, we've only met really a couple of times briefly one being right now like a few minutes ago but I did meet you last year the the one and only time I've actually been to your venue which uh, which we're going to talk about um, and you know I it made me think there aren't that many things that would draw me to Auckland but if I did live there it would be a venue I would go to you know often because yeah. just for the vibe of the place let alone what was happening there yeah it was cool it was cool it was one of those things um it was cool to finally see it to finally mm. go because i walked past it on other well, it's visits. a great space it's, it's such a, a great spot a spa- artistic space yeah um, and the location uh, yeah oh God. I, well so it's it's drawn to my it's part of my memories of auckland of the the whole walk up to real groovy the walk up to borders all those things like as a teenager when I'd go there once or twice a year yeah. um, those are my destination spots <laughs> I'd always see it you know I'd always see it and I'd, I'd read the board and go oh, I wonder who's on tonight like I wonder if I can go and then there'd be 
any reason why it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'd hate to think if we were trying to get hold of that space today. Yes. In the current property market of Auckland. <laughs> yeah. You know, what chance we would have had. Yeah. Back in 1996, when we first got hold of it, 96, 97, of course, the the um, the prospects for that part of town were mm. not, not terribly great. The building had a six-month demolition clause on it. You know, we were told that at any stage it could be whipped out from underneath us and turned yeah. into a car park because they yeah, seem yeah. to love doing that. Yeah. Um, building car parks. They still do build car parks. Yeah. But, the, but back in the, back then, we were lucky to, I think, in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, it wasn't difficult to replace an adult cinema with a mm. comedy club. Uh, the city council weren't that proud of their current tenant. Yeah. Um, but in this day and age, there would be a whole different set of people with eyes on that property. Back then, you could not only that, but... In terms of what you wanted to do with it, you could almost only do worse, though, in a way, too. Like, you know, like they, much as much as it's an improvement from it being a porn cinema, that what I'm trying to say is you jumped into it when and, cre and you've created uh, a network and a following for comedy when there, when there really wasn't one. There were obviously there were pioneers, you know, we already knew Billy T. James, the top twins, whatever, but they were different type all round entertainers. Yeah, they yeah. were, you know, and there was the eye to, you know, they were. Be, they were TV honest, stars and to be honest we felt like we were catching up with yes. the rest of the world yeah. we, were, we were actually way behind when you mm, think of the mm. likes of um, Lenny Bruce and uh, Bill Hicks yeah you know pioneers of stand up well, well when was the really big the really big boom in american stand up was the early 80s right really uh, yeah, i mean i know you know i know it went before that but through the, the big, 70s big, with yeah. the um, with the arrival of the comedy store in la yeah. the comedy store in new york the improv in la um, that is when the likes of Jay Leno and Letterman yeah. surfaced, um, yeah. Richard Jerry Pryor, Seinfeld, um, Seinfeld uh, the, they were all emerging through the Rose 70s, Bar, yeah. yeah, but they, they were only emerging in the 70s, yeah. they weren't the really 80s, stars until they the got, 80s. And then they got TV shows and that, then it became that thing. Which that, is a bit like here, and that, yeah. it's the delay between us establishing ourselves and the comedians reaching the television screens mm -hmm. was the same sort of 10 years scenario. Yeah, it's just... And, and only when they reach TV does the public go, oh, we have some funny New Zealanders. Mm -hmm. And and, and, uh, and that is when it starts to uh, build, because then people go, oh, there are people on TV. Where did they come from? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a place mm -hmm. called The Classic. They must have come from there. Let's go see. <laughs> so it's like... When, when I started reviewing comedy shows, um, I I quite often would would make the point that either in the review or just in discussions with people, that you know the comedy festival seemed like an a really weird thing to have happen in New Zealand then because as you you, you know, you're saying all this catching up, but it felt like people got one chance a year to put on a show or a series of shows where and cultivate an audience and I know it's different in Auckland where there was your dedicated club but say in Wellington there, there wasn't and so people would and I'm, I'm talking 10, 12, 15 yeah. years ago yeah. and then this TV stuff comes in big time Seven Days being probably the, the really big it has been in the Example last uh, it's, eight years. Yeah, it's really cool. Prior to that, we had pulp comedy. We yes. didn't have the same yeah. cut through. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was later at night and uh, and certainly didn't have the establishment following. But uh, Seven Days and even even Jono and Ben and things like that, they they give people the chance, the comedians, the chance to flex their muscle in slightly different ways. It isn't just stand-up. Well, it gives them like a chance pop. to earn money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also to develop as a writer. Yeah, yeah. They are, you know, they, they, there are, you know, for every comedian that you see on screen on those shows, yeah. there are at least two 
uh-huh. two or three behind the scenes writing. So we're starting to now yeah. see the comedians earning a living writing as well as being Which performing. is the same with things like Saturday Night Live, yeah. where, you yeah. know, some of the best talent on that show has been in the writing room. Yeah. Uh, obviously, lo- across 40 years, loads of breakout stars, but also breakout stars that started off in the writing room, yeah. you know, and didn't go on. Well, there are plenty of people who remain or, writers. Yeah, yeah. Who never exactly. really quite have the performing art, performance yeah, skills. Yeah. And there is a difference that you, you can have natural comedians who aren't great writers, mm, mm. who are good at occupying a space and entertaining mm. a crowd, but you wouldn't then maybe publish the scripts of their comedy and mm-hmm. say, well, read this, it it's makes great reading. Yeah. Some comedians' uh, performances don't make great reading. Yeah. Um, others are uh, spectacular um, writers but a bit dull on stage. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You go, Gosh, I, I think you should spoken word or, or maybe um, short articles or something, mm, even mm. film scripts, movie mm. scripts, something like that, is probably more your thing than standing at a microphone. Mm, yeah. mm. Well, before we get into more of that, let's. I want to go all the way back because I've, I've heard a few interviews you've done recently and obviously you've got the 20th anniversary of the classic to talk about, we can talk about that more, but I want to know a bit more about where you come from and where you come from in terms of comedy, where it enters your life. I mean, I've heard you tell a, a few of the stories, but you're not a comedian. You've not never tried to be a comedian, really. Um, but you, where did comedy come into your life? Well, I have spent some time on stage. I was a, a, I was a dancer right. at school, um, secondary school, in the dance group. It was probably a great way to meet girls mm. when you weren't very good mm. at the pickup lines. <laughs> um, there were two guys in the dance group and about fourteen girls. So the odds <laughs> the, were <laughs> the motives were, were yeah, pure. Yeah, the motives yeah. were pure. So I, I belonged to the dance group and I continued to do that as a performance. And then I, I discovered amateur theatre um, and musical theatre, so I learnt to sing and I learnt to act. And I did all that while having a, just a, a passing fancy for co- listening to comedy. You know, mm-hmm. I listened to the, the old comedy albums, The Goon Show on the radio. The, I had the Monty Python albums. I had all those things. My first record, as I've said in a few interviews, was Fred Dagg's Greatest Hits. Yeah, right. So I had a, obviously had a keen interest in comedy. Yeah. I think even when I got more involved in theatre, I tended to... Um, go for the comic roles and I actually got to direct a few shows I directed a couple of musicals they were all comedies and if they weren't I made them comedies Uh I directed a production of The Wizard of Oz and I made that funny um, if it wasn't funny Uh, and I directed the production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying and again comedy Um, I directed some farces uh, and also acted in a few plays I did act in 12 Angry Men not a comedy um, <laughs> no, I was going to say, you, how did you, how did you that, uh, work your magic there? Oh, I, well, see, I must admit that when I did my role in 12 Angry Men, I played the racist and my friends came to see it and they said they were positively petrified. Right. They said because I was being something that they had never yes. seen before. I got so angry on stage and so vehement and I was mm. so racist, they said it was far more scary because... Yeah, it, it was like because of what they attached to what you were. Yeah, it was like watching someone snap, and mm. they said that made it even more powerful. Yeah. And I said, well, if you look through history of films, yes. sometimes there are some really nasty roles that mm. are played by comedians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And com- and and like almost being cast against like. Well, there's that remake of Twelve Angry Men that came out in the in the late nineties. It's got a lot of comic talent in it. Yeah. Jack Lemmon's a great example of yeah. a, of a, a you know comic actor who could 
Yeah, I've always been great. interested yeah. in that in that weird sort of the yeah. ca- casting yes. someone who's Jerry Lewis a funny and, um, man as a nasty man. Robin Williams played a serial yes. killer yeah. uh, in one of his films. Yeah, he um, had that run in the in the early two thousands where he did sort of two or three films in a row where yeah. he was essentially the villain. Remember, he or, he ran the photo lab. Yeah, and yeah, he was yeah, processing the photo. family photos, yeah, and yeah, then he yeah. murdered the people. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I always used to find that interesting that dichotomy mm. of, of mm. humor and absolute fierce. Well, even just comedians playing you know if not the villain but just a, a straight serious yeah. role but um, you know what's that great uh, I'm having a mind blank but that my, uh, King of Comedy that's called yes. Sazie Film with, with a, uh, De Niro uh, well like you know yeah. three yeah three three people playing against type yeah. and, and, and three astounding performances yeah. but obviously De Niro playing this straight dude who thinks he's funny Jerry Lewis a comedian playing a very angry Man, it's and, it's um, fun to watch casting like that. Mm, I used to mm. enjoy when I, 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 so I did a bit of theatre and I cast a few plays and I used to enjoy casting people, and and getting something out of them that was not expected, mm-hmm. you know, if it was possible. I didn't really, I didn't want to pursue that as a career because, I, I, at some point I looked at my friends who were in theatre, professional theatre, and I looked how desperate that was in New Zealand. Mm. Um, you know, good to feed the soul, but not much else. And so you trained as an accountant, or yeah, something yeah, like I sort that. Of, and did you go down that path? Well, well I did. I, I, yeah. um, I was, I, I went part time with Price Waterhouse and Company. So I, I did three or four years as a as a trainee accountant, yeah. auditing companies um, at this, while I did my studies at night. <laughs> yeah. And um, but at that stage, I'd discovered a bit of theatre. I think the first thing I realised after I'd done a bit of theatre is that. I didn't want to be working in an office as an accountant for the rest of my life. Um, it was the knowledge I had was going to come in handy, and yeah. it did. It always has business knowledge; always is useful. But I wanted to pursue something in the entertainment industry. Um, I didn't quite know what, uh, and that led me to working with Kira Jody and marketing people on movies. Mm-hmm. And I ended up replacing someone in that company and working for them for 10 years and that was just great because uh, all we did is watch movies and then work out how to sell them to New Zealanders mm. and I had a bit of luck with movies that weren't really expected to do well like Summer Lovers oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. I mean we had a we had one of the best territories in the world for the release of that film <laughs> for the campaign we ran yeah. here um, we did very well with Terminator yeah uh, in hindsight of course we did yes, because yeah, it's yeah. such a great film. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. no one really. But a surprise at the it time. It was a bit yeah, of a surprise. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, conservative little New Zealand audiences, then you know, like yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we've always been a funny territory for, um, I guess, because of that, the distance and the size and so forth. We've we've always been a funny territory for certain things that just stick and go over mm. hugely. That it's always the things that never, yeah. you know, people don't ever quite expect, and then benefit of hindsight you're like that makes sense you know of, yeah. cor- cor- of course New Zealand loves Jack Johnson and Ben Harper and all of that sort of stuff we but are a really good country to try stuff on yeah we did we yeah. actually did try the uh, a few movies that the big company in America wasn't too sure about they released through us first in New Zealand to mm. test market their campaigns mm. to see if they're on the right track because they recognized back then that New Zealand was quite a safe little cheap market to experiment with a marketing campaign yeah and, they, and then sometimes they would change the title you know we might even suggest we don't like this title or they would release a film in New Zealand and go, mm, that didn't work and you'd see the film get released in the States yeah. with a different title. So we're, we're a bit of an experimental ground even back then. Um, I had the pleasure of, re- of working on the marketing for at least half a dozen Woody Allen films. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was probably a really interesting part of my comedy development because I got to watch Woody Allen films again and again and again, which was 
it, it just it, uh, his comedy was so beautiful, and his again his use of actors. What, what sort of period are we talking? We're there talking would have been some um, of the Pur Purple serious? Rose of Cairo, yeah. oh, um, cool. Hannah and her sisters. Yeah, um, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah. Going back around Purple Rose of Cairo, there was another Radio Days. Radio Days. Yeah, Loved yeah. Radio yeah, Days. Yeah, beautiful film. Beautiful film. I'm and so and I was thinking, like, great, really interesting time frame for him with with a lot of the kind of serious stuff that just has a bit of whimsy in it, as yep. well as some flat-out, you know, sort of going, but not quite the full-on farce of the 70s, but those instincts are still there, and, yeah. you know, he knows how to do the, you know, out of nowhere, the kind of physical comedy or just, yeah. like, absurdist lines, yeah. I got quite a lot of credibility at that stage, too, because of the fact that I was marketing those films. I was the one staging the premieres, and also all the reviewers' screenings. Mm -hmm. So I got to invite a lot of media to see mm. those films for the first time, and you're um, working out who to... Well, I've got just contacts. I also yeah. worked uh, I worked on the release in New Zealand of The Secret Policeman's Ball movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And The Secret Policeman's Other Ball movies. Yeah. And that was uh, that was very important. I only remembered that last week. And I was thinking, that's right. When I saw that movie for the first time, it was the first time I'd seen Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, um, right. And not the first time I'd seen Billy Connolly, but almost the first yeah. time I'd seen a performance by him. Now, did they? Get, so they got theatrical releases. They got. Well, you said it was pre-video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even right, even if right. it was video, it was around. It was so yeah. small. So though, yeah. back then you could release a concert movie. Yeah. I mean, I did the campaign in New Zealand for Stop Making Sense. You know, that was a huge movie. Yeah. Because that was the only way you could really appreciate yes. that film. It's yeah. a beautifully filmed concert. Yeah, yeah, still. Um, Still one of the best. Usually at the top of the list. Top of, of the list. And best I, and concert films, Again, yeah. I got to work on the release of that yeah. and I got to invite all the media to those first screenings. Yeah, wow. All those contacts I made while I was inviting all the media to those screenings mm. were contacts I used later on mm. to market stand-up comedy in Auckland. Mm -hmm. I could call in favours and go, you know... Um, or just just friendships um, mm, mm. because some of the people I was inviting went on to become the radio station managers and directors uh, the people who started more FM in Auckland um, Roger Clamp Larry Somerville mm -hmm. they were friends of the original Comedy Fest crew who started Comedy Fest right. they were just mates who went to university together yeah. Stephen Joyce Stephen That's Joyce, right. yeah, Stephen yeah, Joyce yeah. employed Jeremy Corbett and these guys, so we could go to Stephen and say, "Stephen, give us some airtime. We're mm. putting on a comedy show." And um, <laughs> and uh, nowadays we have to approach Stephen and go, ah, "Stephen, you know, we we need some you know help with this." And he goes, "Who are you?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, we I made invaluable contacts, and of course, some people have asked me, "How did you get started? How did you get audiences?" And I'd have to say, by calling in all these favours and relationships yeah, yeah. that we'd built up in the media to help us launch. Mm. Firstly, just gigs at Kitty O'Brien's, but later on to launch a comedy club. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's the first big step for you towards comedy? Is it hooking up the, with the funny business guys? It was. It was a, being a mate of Willie DeWitt's yeah. in a nightclub in Auckland, entering a comp seeing those guys enter a competition, me acting as a stupid manager, um, my dream of one day having a, my own Monty Python troupe, you know, and, yeah. I, and so when the competition finished and I, I had these five individuals, I went, well, why don't we start a, a, a group called Fun... And I, I think I came up with the name Funny Business. Um, and we started that group and we didn't quite know what we were going to develop. They were into sketch, so most mm -hmm. of it was sketch. We didn't... We had seen Secret Policeman's Ball, so we were aware of solo monologues like yeah. Rowan Atkinson's yeah, yeah. monologues. 
Um, and it wasn't until that we started to see people like Alexi Sale, yeah, still an oddball, you know, yeah. it wasn't really a stand up, no. Um, but that sort of go right, okay, one man, one microphone, we can do that. Um, we need to do that because we've got no way of getting from one sketch to the next on stage at the Windsor Castle on a Wednesday night. You know, we've got this Mormon the Norman, the song by Funny Business. They're all in the song. They're all dressed as Mormons. They finish the song. What do we do before we can get to the next sketch? So <laughs> we said one of you has to stay at the microphone and do something while the others go and change their costumes. So one would stand at the microphone and do stand-up comedy for mm. the first time ever. Um, and You're just giving me a massive flashback that Norman the Mormon. I still remember that uh, one of the great rhyming couplets uh, is uh, something like, I've got a bike, it's a mean mach machine, I get a real sore ass, but the Lord is my Vaseline. Yes, right, yeah. that's right, Lord is my Vaseline, yeah. Um, and uh, it is, I it's well worth searching the good old yeah. YouTube and yeah. finding that clip, and I yeah. bought a lounge suite. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. And the, and the alternative New Zealand anthem, yes. which was filmed on yeah. the top of Mount Eden. Yeah. Um, uh, I found all those on YouTube recently. And, uh, and was that a kind of, that alternative New Zealand anthem, was that a kind of throwback to Fred Dagg? It was. Yeah. It was very much yeah. in the you style of. His, yeah, yeah. You mentioned yeah, definitely the, in the style The ubiquitous Fred Dagg Greatest Hits album, which yeah. is, you know, in, in, in every second person's record collection. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, if you've still got your vinyl. Yeah. Um, uh, and that that was sort of had the building on that. And yeah. we, we built up these shows with elements of solo. And it wasn't until we then merged after a number of years with the Facial DBX crew out of Massey University, which was an, a different bunch of comedians. They were very, they were younger, they had a different energy. They still were sketch-based, so it was a lovely, you know, you're sketch-based, we're sketch-based, great. Let's get, we'll get together. And, uh, and I was brought on board purely to try and up the ante. They, they used to write a new show every six weeks. And they'd perform it at Kitty O'Brien's and then they'd book another show six weeks later and they'd all meet and they'd write it. And I'd go, what are you doing? How is that an economically viable model <laughs> to write, spend six weeks writing a show and performing it once? And they mm. said, well, we've only got 50 people that come and see us. Yeah. And I said, but, but you do realise the population of Auckland. <laughs> yeah. um, we've got another million three hundred thousand who can come to this show. So it was quite simply, I said, let's put it on weekly because that takes out the guesswork for the audience. Mm. If they just know every Thursday there's a gig at Kitty O'Brien's. And I said, we're just going to have to ration the available comedians maybe so we don't use ever, all of them every week. Mm. So it would be like having an a, 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 a team and a B team or whatever. One of you, some of you perform this week, the others perform the following week. Um, you all develop solo stuff. We still chuck in some sketches. Uh, and we start finding comedians. So the very important task early on was to launch Rookies Nights and Raw Nights mm. and start finding all those closet comedians yeah, that yeah, were yeah. out there who were in exactly the same boat as us. They're ones who had been raised on Monty Python, mm. had seen movies. But the extent of their comedy yep. was yeah. people at work telling them they were exactly. funny or that's right. at the and barbecue. That's the sort of people we got. And yeah. there was also a very strong university comedy club um, circuit then much more so than now. Every mm, university mm. had its own comedy club mm. um, with a bunch of people doing that stuff. And they used to have an annual competition mm. which all the universities would come together and compete against each other. They'd have a conference weekend. They'd put on performances. They'd have... Uh, it was, I mean, amazing breeding ground of comedy. So we used to go to those comedy clubs as guests and sometimes as speakers and judges for the competition. And a lot of the students that came out of those comedy clubs in the universities, once they graduated, gravitated towards us. Mm. So we built a comedy um, population of comedians mm. that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I want to um, deviate for a bit. I was yep. just thinking you were, when you were talking about New Zealand being a good sort of testing ground, 
for material, uh, I was thinking part of that might be that, you know, that whole, I've always thought about this with comedy, and, and I think it's true with a lot of other things, is because we're out on our own at the bottom of the world, we, we've often received material from very British material and very American material, and we sort of understand both. Mm. And a lot of British stuff does not translate to American audiences and vice versa. Exactly, yeah. um, you know, if it does, it, it's in little pockets and little cults. You know, obviously Monty Python's huge in America, but in little pockets. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. everywhere, whereas asks a Kiwi about Monty Python, they know all about it. But ask a Kiwi about, you know... Family Ties or Taxi or those 80s sitcoms or yeah. Richard Second Pryor. City, Chicago, or, yeah, Second City, SNL. Saturday Night Live, yeah, SNL. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, or, you know... Or, not part of our culture as much. No, no that's no. not. But no. now, I, you know, obviously now with it being available to, to watch a bit more regularly, but I still think the people interested in the comedy and, uh, you know, comedy films, you know, for me, the, the sort of myth of SNL was around finding out that whichever actor you followed yeah. whether it was Will Ferrell or you know way before that say Steve Martin um, Bill Murray you know finding out that this was part of their background and then finding out what it was yeah. um, what it was so where I want to go with that is is when did that idea of taking from British and American stuff or at least understanding it when do you feel that made an impact on New Zealand comedy and New Zealand comedians because you know, I'm thinking about what I remember about funny business and and things of that ilk and era, and they kind of referred to the tried and tested New Zealand things, the Billy T. James show, the Fred Dagg, the Top Twins, those things that had been successful here, which is obviously all part of trying to find a mm. Kiwi voice. Well, the um, the... The, the, a lot of those shows, I think of the other shows that more issues and issues and things like that, mm. news parody shows, um, I think they were all very much on an English model. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could see all those shows those were based on out of, out of England. We, we weren't getting a lot of that American-style comedy, right. I don't think. Um, it well, was like not the 9 o'clock. No, they, they, if anything, I think people equated what we started to do with stand-up as a far more American model. Yeah. It was funny how English was always a bit more sketch character-based. You yes. know, your Rowan Atkinson's and your things like that. Yeah, and variety shows. Yeah, and, 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 and yet there were a, a truckload of, of English stand-up comedians. Yeah. But really, stand-up comedy sounded much more American. Mm. Um, the... Uh, pace of, of stand-up seems to be more American. The old three-minute monologues on, on Johnny Carson and, mm, and those Peterman, shows. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, they, people were aware that the American-style stand-up was a lot more punchy and gag-based and, and everything. And I think we started to explore that more. I was disappointed when we, when we finally sort of got, when we had Kitty O'Brien's underway and we moved to the classic Everything seemed to be focused on one one man, one woman, whatever, and a microphone. Mm. And I tried to encourage anything in the way of sketch, you know, mm-hmm. or trios and stuff. We could not get them. Everyone became very focused on on their own game, mm. and uh, it, I think they saw that as the easiest way to move forward. Because of course you don't have to rehearse with other people. Yeah, you don't have to check if someone else is available. No, you, you just, don't. You just write your own comedy and you turn up. I don't know that they were looking for this, but I guess that there's that whole the folklore of 
at one point they were handing out sitcoms to anyone in America that was doing stand-up. So so if someone was thinking along those lines, they're going, well, my opportunity is going to come to me and me only and I'm not going to have to split it with someone. Yeah. You know? Well, America, uh, American television, of course, was always looking for that. New Zealand television didn't appear no. to be. So, I mean, I, I was amazed they got pulp comedy across the line mm. so early on because we really didn't have... We were scratching sometimes to find the, the quality comedians to mm. fill the roster of that show. We actually did quite a lot of sort of grassroots hunting around New Zealand for people working in theatre and, and slightly different performers to fill the gaps yeah. just so that we weren't using the same comedians all the time because they did eight series of pulp comedy, which was quite remarkable yeah, back yeah. then. So, I mean, w what did comedians do for a crust? Back then, well, obviously radio. A lot of mm. a lot of them went to radio. A lot of them were working on radio. A, little, a few sort of MCing gigs and things like that. But now, you know, people can actually have a career essentially yeah. in comedy um, with I, TV and then maybe radio. And stuff, I don't feel so guilty these days talking to young people about comedy as a career because yeah. I think uh, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, I, <laughs> I you could you could feel like you were sort of selling um, a, a pretty poor option. To a young student, you know, going, "Hey, mm. give up your give up your law degree, come mm. and be a comedian." Yeah. Not that I ever have said that to anyone. I always say to people, "Please, um, uh, don't training. give up your <laughs> yeah, don't give up your day job. Yeah, go uh, get one. By get all some means. other strings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get some other strings to your bow. Have yeah. a, have a fallback situation, something." Um, and, and a lot of comedians coming to us already did have careers. You know, they weren't all students. Yeah. Um, some of them were in their twenties and thirties who who decided they want to be you know, have a crack at it. And so they had life experience and sometimes families and jobs, which they could maintain, of course. Comedy isn't that demanding. Um, yeah. It's demanding on the brain during the day while you're thinking, but it's only de demanding for 15 minute, fifteen to 30 minutes yeah, at night. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's, a, it's, it's a good option. I actually said to a few people going to university, look, this is a really good um, job to have while you're studying at university mm. because it's not going to occupy too much of your study time and you will earn more doing a comedy gig uh, uh, than you will working in a cafe. You know, it'll, you'll have to work as a barista for like six hours to earn the same amount of money as you'll earn in 15 minutes yeah, yeah, <laughs> doing yeah. stand-up. <laughs> so a big part of what you've done and I guess what you're continuing to do but what you've done has been in fostering you, you, you know, you're a, you know, people talk about you now as a godfather of New Zealand comedy scene the last 20 years, last 25 years, last 30 years at a pitch, but certainly in terms of it becoming visual, the last 20 years. Um, and so a big part of that is encouraging people. What do you do when someone is hopeless? It's are, you, are, are you blunt enough to say go away and don't come I back don't, I, don't, I don't have really a mean bone in my body so, no I'm getting um, that from you and, and uh, I sometimes I often look at what a person's motives are mm -hmm. for becoming a comedian it isn't always that they're looking for a job they're sometimes looking for an answer mm -hmm. um, to something going on with them. We've got a mm. lot of different people. Therapy. Yeah, a little bit of therapy, for, but there's a bit of therapy for the audience too. Yes, yeah. But there's sometimes um, people discover things about themselves when they do stand-up comedy. One thing, of course, people really discover is a self-confidence. Yes. And I have had people come to me to start performing comedy. You've gone, well, you, you don't stand in front of an audience very easily, that's for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and seeing that change is, I think, fantastic. It doesn't mean they're going to go on to become comedians, but mm. they actually do go away with a self-confidence that they can take elsewhere into their life. Um, you, you must have, 
even in New Zealand, you must have seen it all. People with supreme natural talent, but maybe not the writing skills to back it up. Yeah, well, we've people got, with people who are funny in theory but can't deliver it. You we've know, we've had good examples. Um, if you look at our population of famous comedians, yes. um, and I know some of them are uh, your fond favourites. Um, <laughs> Uh, Mr. Reese Darby, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Mr. Yeah. Di Henwood, two gentlemen who I watched occupy a stage really easily, fantastic on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but in their early days, you'd go, "What are what are you saying? What's the what is that?" You know. And Di Henwood, he, he had these stupid characters. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't he start off as like a character guy, P Funk Chainsaw, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, which was really playing up on how small he was. Yes, being this really larger than life wrestler Big character. Ego. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other one was. Uh, um, uh, John the Bank Teller, I think it was, for Guy from Palmerston North, was just an alternative character. Uh-huh. And he he was someone who wanted to be on stage, but he wasn't at that stage definitely a natural writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was trying to catch up. He was going, I, I, I'm really good at being here and getting into the audience and having a bit of fun. I've got to get, have something to say. And it wasn't until he dropped the characters that mm. he went through, for a while, a little bit of a sort of a painful transition of, right, I no longer have a character to hide behind. Mm, I'm mm. now just going to be Di Henwood. But it's amazing watching someone who knows that's the place they want to be um, finding their finding their feet. And nowadays, he's such a wonderful, natural humorist, still big on personality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, watching him communicate with the crowd is a real treat, a live audience. I haven't know. had that pleasure. I no, don't think it, I've been allowed into his shows, oh, actually. Oh, it's a shame. I, I know. And, 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 you know, like, I, because my um, experience with his comedy is that, yes, early, and early on, I thought it quite awful. Um, but I don't know him, and I don't, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, and, you know, I know his, his dad's a wonderful yeah. actor and I know the sort of background of the family and so I'm not surprised that he developed some sort of performance um, instinct or, or found it in him. But I, I, I've listened to him interviewed a couple of times recently and, and watched a couple of little clips of the TV stuff that he's doing and I'm like, this guy is very, very talented. That's very clear to me. Uh, but that tal- a talent that but I'm going, you know, longevity of yes, time. Yes, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it's, mm. a, it's been a long game. And I, you know, when I sort of weighed in on, on Di Henwood, it was over a decade ago. Yeah. So, and I haven't had the chance to, uh, or haven't pursued the chance to, to see where he's at. And I know he doesn't do a lot of actual stand-up these days. No, he, he, um, we're very lucky that yeah. uh, he always comes to us around about October and we'll do at least half a dozen gigs. He's sharpening up a set to yeah. take on tour with the Seven Days Live. Yeah, yeah. So we get to see some new material and we get to see him building and he's very he's, he, clearly... he's very clever at building material. He mm-hmm. knows just how to break in new stuff. He knows how to craft it, tweak it. He's got all the skills that mm. you now need. I was going to say, he's obviously developed hugely as a writer. Um, through all of this too, yeah. you know, uh, you know, no doubt the performance aspect. Not so much, there. also not just a writer, but a very important part of being a comedian is to be able to back the ideas in your head that you have in the moment. Yeah. So you have to. A really good comedian will have a comic thought, mm-hmm. will edit that comic thought, and speak it in a fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that like, they, and you with, see that happening. No with, script writers. Yeah. No one's put it. It hasn't even made it to paper. Yeah. It's come into the head. They've gone. Oh God, I've got an idea. 
uh, that's the wrong order of the words. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah, the punchline. Yeah, Put yeah, that there. Yeah. Well, and I and you can see someone on stage do that in yes, an instant. And yeah. Di is now one of those people. Yeah. And that comes with a large amount of stage time yes. and a huge amount of self confidence in your comic brain. Yeah. Jeremy Corbett is another one who can. He's always been able to do that. It's yeah. his secret skill. Is that Jeremy Corbett never appears to work that hard. But boy, no, it's very difficult to match him yeah. in front of a live audience. Yeah. Paul Ego is now in that territory. Just stage time. Yeah. Uh, and a wonderful current story, Jamie Bowen, New Zealand comedian, who has been around since for almost 16 years. Mm. Started out as a sketch trio. Um, they broke up. He stuffed around as a solo stand-up trying to find his feet. He actually has tried a number of different sort of versions of Jamie Bowen, the comedian, over the years. Mm. He had a couple of major revelations in the last three years, has now found a sort of a new career, um, new new voice in stand-up. He went to Los Angeles last month mm. and uh, and slept on the Darby's couch. Very useful connection, Reese Darby and family <laughs> in LA. Um, slept on their couch. And he did gigs at the Comedy Store, the Improv, and the Laugh Factory. He killed with every one. And I had a, th I had a, th it wasn't just him telling me that. I had people in the audience who told me mm. how well he went. And I've been talking to him. And he says, I'm funnier in LA than I am in New Zealand. I haven't changed my material. I've slowed it down because of the accent. Mm. He said, but I haven't changed anything. I'm getting a bigger reaction in LA than I am in New Zealand. He's now in the process of getting an agent. He's also in the process of setting himself up there. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. He's, a, he's another guy I've, I've, I've never seen and, and I've actually been banned from seeing him and I didn't know why. Someone told me one year, someone organising one of the venues wrote to me and said, um, we've, been, we've been told that you're not allowed to come and see oh, Jamie Bowen. And I, you know what, I wrote back and said, who the fuck is he? I don't even know who he is. Like, <laughs> maybe that, maybe you're, that's now a benchmark of success. Yeah. Oh, I've banned Simon Sweetman. Oh, well, you're that good. Yeah, okay. isn't that <laughs> funny though I mean I didn't even know who he was I was like uh, who is this dude like, your reputation must be preceding you well um, I'm, I don't really um, as you know I don't really review comedy these days I, every now and then I will you know I'll go and see something and and um I'll, I'll try and go to some of the internationals yeah well you've and, got you've got comic tastes it's just a case of like yeah. everyone you know you've got to know what you like yeah and boy you, you sometimes you have to be able to do your research and and because even the festival every year, mm -hmm. there's always a whole pile of new faces, new international faces. And mm -hmm. just because a comedian's from Scotland doesn't mean you'll like them yeah, or, that yeah, you, yeah. or that you would even or they'll be, see them. Or that they would be similar to the last com comedian yeah. from Scotland. You yeah, know, like, so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing is that you... Well, you've been very good at, um, you know, and, and I understand this with you talking about the contacts you've made and how you've worked them, but you've been always been very good, I think, with me of... of writing to me and saying, I, I actually think you'll like this person, you should go along and see them. Right. You know? And yeah. you've done that a couple of times and, and, and you've, been, you know, you've pretty much been right. Like, I can't think of an experience where you've gone, you should go and see blah, 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 and I've gone, Jesus Christ, they were fucking awful. It's, <laughs> it's usually they're good or very yeah. good, you yeah. know, like yeah. and maybe, maybe I haven't quite loved them as much as you do or you thought I would, but I've certainly seen why you've pointed me in that direction. Well, it's a lot safer sending someone to a lineup show when you've yeah. got four or five comedians. They're going to like something. You're going to like something, I promise you. I, I, I normally yeah, yeah, cast yeah. a lineup show yeah. to try and appeal to a broad spectrum of tastes, knowing that people will go, ah, oh, I saw five comedians and I like three of them. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, that's, that's a bit of a reasonably good success rate. Um, but if you're choosing a solo act, when you're going, yeah. putting your eggs in one basket and going, yeah. go and see this act, um, and uh, you want a second of like that? No, no it doesn't no. matter. Um, uh, go and see this act, 
you've only got one act, it's an hour. Yeah. You know, that could be purgatory if you get the wrong act. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Go, I've got to sit here for an hour? I don't even like the first five minutes, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah I wouldn't, I'd try and avoid those situations. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about um, criticism of comedy yes. because, I, I mean, I'm interested in it. Obviously, I've got my own my own thoughts on it. I want to know yours. And one thing I've often thought about is comedy is a very, and I don't, I don't not just in New Zealand, in the New Zealand context, but comedians tend to group together one way or another. They band together. They understand each other's pain. They understand what it takes to do that. And, and, and I think it's the same with a lot of musicians and stuff too, but particularly with comedians. Mm. And But where I see, you know, you're quite right in identifying that I've got particular tastes and I guess they're changing with time and all of that. Uh, hopefully they're evolving. But um, I see the role of a critic with regard to comedy as being quite crucial in that I don't want to hear what a comedian thinks of another comedian because I know they're mates. Mm. I, know, I, know, I know even if they do di- dissimilar material or they possibly don't even like each other's material, they're not going to say that publicly because they hang out in green rooms. They understand what it takes to do it. They, they know that they only made a hundred bucks in a week. Um, and you know, all of these different things. So, so they're in it together and you're in it with them in a way too. And you want your venue to succeed and you want people to do well and you want the audience to be happy. But there doesn't, I feel like there is room for a voice to come in and say, here's why I thought this was, garbage or here's why I thought this was great yeah I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having critics I mean people who write books have critics um, yeah. uh, you do a lot of music uh, critique people who well. write I was going to say people who write criticism have, have, have critics critics have critics <laughs> yeah. but I mean you know that, that, that the thing is that there are people out there who value other opinions mm. and what you tend to do is that you, you probably latch on to a, a critic the way you latch on to um, uh, a, a, a particular fond genre of music and yep. you go well I generally like everything this band writes so I will follow this band and you might find the same someone might latch on to a, a, a commentator of culture and go yep. well I generally agree with what this person has to yeah, say yeah, yeah. so this now becomes a useful source of information yeah. yes. for me to help decide what I want to see yeah. um, and when you're trying to sort of decide to spend your leisure dollars yeah. you don't just want to go out and spend it willy nilly you want to go I want to, I want to try and focus it on what stuff I want yeah. and people will have various systems for doing that and that's the role the critic plays is going look in the scheme of things this particular artist say it's a comedian um this comedian sort of uh, is in this genre and in that respect they are very very good in this genre um uh they i think it's important that a critic sort of has to speak of what happened in the room at that yeah, night and go yeah right i went to this gig there it's it, the capacity was a thousand there were a thousand people there yeah and i would say that 80 percent of the yeah, audience yeah. were into it and the other 20 yeah. percent were just singing along yeah yeah um and i that's how i judge comedy these mm-hmm. days i mean i have to decide if someone's got what it takes to move forward and i and i have to be careful because after i've seen them gig 20 or 30 times my objectivity has changed mm-hmm. Um, so I have to start listening to other people to find out if this comedian is working. So I listen to the crowd. Mm. So I, I very much judge comedy on the crowd reaction. And, and, you, a, and you, they're my crowd. They're, I've been responsible yeah. for getting that crowd in the room. So I go, great, I've got all these people here. Let's hear what they've got to, what they've got to say. And, of course, the audience speaks with laughter and applause. Yeah, yeah. So it's very easy to judge the success of a comedian. You've also been the guy that's sometimes 
two or more of these things, but you've been the guy that's taken the ticket on the door, yeah. poured them a drink, done the lighting or the sound. You yeah. know, like you've got these different um, insights into it and different vantage points, and and but it's also. I was given little, it's also vested interest. I was given a little but. pearl of wisdom once from a person in business, and they said, using the racetrack analogy, they mm. said, you can own the horse, <laughs> you can own the jockey, mm. you can own the race, you can sponsor the race, but best thing is to own the racetrack. And then you own everyone on the racetrack. And I went, oh, okay, that's a good advice. So that's the position to aspire to. Mm. Don't, mm. I don't want to own just the jockey or just the horse. It's much better to try and own the whole racetrack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's, uh, I suppose I'm in that position at the moment. Yeah. So I am involved in a lot of different aspects of it. Yeah. But as far as critiquing comedy, I mean, I'm trying to find comedians that are going to please my audiences. Yeah, of course. I also don't want to be trapped in the only trying to please one audience. Yeah, yeah, because your, then your you, audience needs to evolve. So I've got to build the audiences, yeah. I've got to build the comedians, and that sort of goes in cycles. Yeah. So while I mightn't always agree with some of the things my comedians do, I can say, well, uh, a good chunk of my audience do enjoy that comedian. Yeah. So I would continue to put them on, you know, um, and... Every so often, you get that sort of thing, like a flight of the Concords, yeah. who just seem to excite everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you go, wow, well, that's, that's, I had very little to do with the success of Flight of the Concords. I just rode along on that while I could until I disappeared overseas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes you play a far more active role in feeding the audience and giving them what they want and finding something and developing it. Uh, and also sometimes tolerating stuff that isn't my f- choice, but I see realizing that. At my age, mm. I can't understand what maybe a 20-year-old wants to laugh at. Mm. I have mm. to rely on Or my, listen to or... Or listen yeah. to or whatever, you know, you, you go... Yeah. Yeah. So uh, even the references that these people are popping... Yeah. ...can be lost on you, right? I mean, like, like, there's a truckload <laughs> of Tinder comedy now. Yeah. Everyone's got a Tinder set. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 it horrif- t- Tinder horrifies me. But, of course, I also see the huge comic potential of yes. Tinder. I have learned everything I need to know about Tinder purely by watching comedians. I've never been on it. I've never looked at it. I don't know how it works. But I do know m- a lot about it, thanks to comedians. Mm. Comedians are great informing you uh, yeah. of what's happening Doing in a lot of work for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, part of where I have often sat with comedy is I sort of see the great comedians and this doesn't have to be the case you know hey I like I like dick jokes and fart jokes from time yeah. to time too but but um, they're a kind of modern day philosopher I think yeah that, some of them are can they? be and, and it's certainly that's that's a big part of what I've often looked for yeah I mean they, they certainly reflect the society You, I think yeah. we all would agree that the society that can laugh at itself, yeah, and also uh, uh, where significant people are allowed to be taken down uh, without being imprisoned mm. by comedians is a sign of a healthy society. Do you think New Zealand? I mean, I feel like the answer is yes straight away because yeah. there are more avenues. But do you? Th- but at the same time, fuck, you know, some days you worry about going online and 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 seeing how people just bark at each other. Do you think we have overall got better at laughing at ourselves? Uh, I think we... Um, or is that where someone like Jamie Bowen, is that part of his success in America over New Zealand, is that he's pitching to an audience that, that better understands the roller coaster well, of I comedy? Would have, I tell you what, from from a personal point of view, I would have loved to have been in that room when he was performing mm. to find out what the To notice the difference. To notice the difference between New Zealand comedy yes. and, and, and their comedy 
and actually maybe appreciate the value of some of the things our comedians have got to say because it's, it's all too familiar to me. Our audiences mm. are very familiar. Our, co- our comedy in New Zealand does tend to be quite narrative, yes. quite storytelling. Jamie is yeah. a real storyteller. Yeah. We do have a few exceptions. We've got a few lo- what I call liner-based comedians who, yeah. who do the Mitch Hedberg kind yeah, of punch simple punchline, punch 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 which is quite American thing to yes. do. Um, we haven't got a lot of them, but we've had a few of them. You've then got um, you've got very uh, physical comedians. You know, Reese Darby is a is very much a Jim Carrey kind of comedian. And you know, some people hated Jim Carrey mm. because they'd see him go on stage and go, "You're not doing anything. Yeah. You're not saying anything. You're just pulling funny faces and doing that." And you're going, "Yeah." But um, on, on a comedy club night, that's a lovely change of pace. Mm, boy mm. with tape on his face, Sam Wills. Mm. It was lovely to pull out the boy with tape on his face in the middle of a lineup to just like freshen the audience and change the pace of the night instead of having maybe just another narrative story comedian. I, 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 I personally never quite understood how that gimmick has lasted so long, but I did, I did get it when I saw him on that. Um, international talent show, which yeah. when it was, well, and, the, the, and for exactly what you said, it was a, uh, you know, I mean, he nailed his performance, yeah. but it was something completely different, sandwiched in between a whole lot of other, you know. And I gather that is how Jamie has appeared right, over yeah. in America in the comedy clubs, to, to, that he has his with his different accent mm. and his different viewpoint. For example, fantastic. Kiwi ingenuity, bit of DIY comedy. He told me that on Sunday night they played the Laugh Factory at um, uh, at Long Beach or somewhere like that, and the room sat 400 people, and there were only 30 people in the room. That was that, that's a big <laughs> that's a big no show. 30 people in a room that holds 400, and uh, and all the American comedians on the bill were bemoaning the fact that oh they are used to more people and ah, mm, this is mm. hard, hard to play the room. Jamie went out and said, oh my God, back home in New Zealand, this is a sold-out house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a full house. Lovely piece of Kiwi DIY. Yes, yeah. Does it with a New Zealand accent. He said the audience were immediately, the 30 people, on his side. were immediately on board with yeah, him yeah, and yeah. loved his perspective. Yeah, yeah. And then he, then he did this whole stick about, you know, I'm on New Zealand and, and thing, and went down a tree, probably was best on the bill on the night in a, what should have been a hard room. Mm. And, and you go, actually, you know, Kiwi comedians probably in a really good position to go overseas and do that kind of thing. We're so used to overseas comedians coming here mm. and being lords of the manor, um, we don't think of it as the other way around. But do you think it's hard... I mean, I, I, the other thing I think is about New Zealand comedians, and I haven't, I haven't seen terribly many in the last few years because for, for many reasons. We've sort mm. of touched on it, but... Well, you, well if, somehow you're getting yourself banned. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> that, and <clears throat> that's, that's the main thing. But also, you know, and like, I, you know... Co- Contrary to what some people think, I don't actually want to be where people don't want me to be. I'm, quite, you know, I'm quite happy to stay at home, and you know, my my dog, my kid, and my wife actually quite like me. So yeah. I'll work that room. So you know, you know, I'll just like, keep on inviting you to my gigs. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, great. And I, and you know, and you know, I'll tell you if I've got zero interest in going or if yeah. I'm unavailable for another reason. But I'm usually pretty curious about this stuff. But I don't think I've seen a New Zealand comedian that has, and I'm not, I'm not holding these people up as. Oh, they're all very good, the people I'm going to say. But, uh, you know, I don't feel we we still have comedians with, say, the intensity and the commitment to to an integrity of your Bill Burrs, Stuart Lees, Louis C.K.'s, those, those people that are quite happy to not be liked, you know. Yeah, I uh, think um, Brendan Lovegrove is in the category you, of... Yeah, being, possibly. He, he is world class. He's, and, one of, he's the most instinctive, natural and he's, comedian. I was going to say, he seems like someone who genuinely... 
is quite, is quite happy to not just offend, oh, yeah. but but to not be bothered by. That, not, that, not. That's my understanding. And I've met Brendan and yeah. talked to him, and I, I plan to do a podcast with him, and because um, because he was keen to do that, and one day we'll hook that up. But I've not I've not actually seen him perform live. I, I, you know, I've seen him on TV and stuff. I, I know what he does, but I've not been to one of his shows. Yeah, I think the um the the giddy heights uh, that are available overseas yes. um, uh, of fame and fortune, particularly in America and in England. You know, the Stuart Lees. Uh, um, I mean, a very highly regarded comedian, a comedian's comedian. Yes. You know, there are, quite frankly, um, there are there are comedians like Michael McIntyre that have gone to much higher planes than than Stuart Lee has. Yeah. And Stuart Lee probably doesn't admire Michael McIntyre. Um, I've been to a Michael. Oh no, Mac- you wouldn't. I mean, no, what, but why I've been would to he? a Michael McIntyre show, and I sat back. Did you laugh? Uh, yeah, I laughed like a drain right through the show. And yeah. I saw him in Edinburgh when he was a kid, and invited him to New Zealand, but his management said, no, he's not leaving town. We've got big things for him. And they certainly did. Um, and uh, the first time he came to New Zealand, he played the Vector Stadium, sold out. Yeah. So I didn't, don't think I would have been able to do that with him the first year I was yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but um, you know, I, I admire what each of them are doing. Sure. I, I mean, I, I will probably admire Stuart Lee a lot more yeah. uh, for what he can do with comedy than my, what Mike oh, no, I mean, I, I, mean yeah. I get it. It's, it's yeah. kind of like saying why... Why isn't why aren't the exponents like the Rolling Stones? Yeah. Why isn't Deep Purple like Led Zeppelin? You know, like you know, and yes, you can make a comparison in some sense, but yeah. you want these things to be different and to yeah. criticise them. I I do get, and I've had this sort of, sort of charge levelled at me often, and I and I accept it that to criticise something for not being what you want it to be on some level misses the point of what yeah. they're trying to do, but. Actually, you, t- you talked about Stuart Lee not probably not liking Michael McIntyre. A-, a quote of his has come up recently because you know this James Corden tried to make those Harvey Weinstein jokes, right? And you know I think a lot of people, obviously it was bad timing uh, in terms of proximity to the to the to the news, but also it was just shit material. Like, yeah. and I don't know if pe- I don't know if enough people have pointed that out, but it was really shit yeah. material. Stuart Lee would have done that so much. Tina Fey would have done that or, so, yeah, yeah. and will do that at some yeah, point so yeah. much better. You know that Amy Poehler, but but um, it's interesting. I thought I th- with New Zealand we. We don't sort of have the same climate for, yes. for people to be that kind of comedian. That's sort of what I'm getting at. Is, yeah. is the, the, um, we're a very temperate society. We want, we want to be liked, though, at the end of it. You know, yeah. I, th- I feel like with a lot of our comedy, like, the curtain goes down and then the comedian goes out and has a beer with everyone. And, hey, did you, did you like what I did? Yeah. And even if they're not that puppy dogish about it, there's still this idea of, hey, I left it all on stage. There's, there's something I like. So Stuart Lee said this ages ago, not in relation to the to James Corden's latest thing, but he said something about James Corden as a big fan of me. Um, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, James Corden liking me is, is kind of like a dog listening to classical music. You know, which, <laughs> which is just, you know... And, I pretty mean, mean, isn't it? It's pretty mean, but it's pretty spot on, too. It's like, yeah. where is the comparison between these, those two? And uh, what I love about it is just because, you know, it is a natural thing when, when you... If I if I if I didn't like I mean I don't like Reese Darby's work, so therefore I imagine he doesn't like my work. If he were to turn around and say, Hey, I've copped it from Simon Sweetman but I really love his writing, I'm not gonna turn around and go, Great, that Reese Darby's alright. Yeah. And vice versa. That would be fucking weird. But people do do that. Oh, that person I've always said is shit actually paid me a compliment, so I better start oh, mentioning right. yeah, that yeah, they're yeah. good too, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I love Stuart Lee's integrity with that, that there was just do you want to talk about him? He, you you had him in your venue. Yeah, well, Stuart um, came to us at a difficult time in his 
uh, career. career. He had just been. He's working, had a few, no doubt. Yeah, the Jerry Springer and opera thing had come out. Yeah, and, uh, I went and saw that show. It was a great show. Yeah, um, it, uh, but uh, it upset the right wing, and of course the religious right wing. Mm. Uh, and so he was copying it left, right, and centre, both uh, from the in America and in uh, England. Mm. Um, and he felt a bit set upon. Um, I mean, he was sort of getting threats and things. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of he was wondering why the hell he had bothered. Um, uh, and so I happened to just invite him to the New Zealand Festival at that time, and, and he was single, um, and he had met his wife, but they were they he, they hadn't got yeah. engaged or anything at that stage. So he came to New Zealand, and uh, he I think he suddenly realised the wonderful. Um, benefit of distance mm. he came here and there was no one knew who he was yeah um, they didn't know that backstory and no, if, they, no. if they even knew it they yeah. knew it as a newspaper column not and he, the full backlash and he came and he performed <clears> at the classic and he loved it but uh, there were it was not long before a lions tour that was in the middle of the year That's june right. and some of the fans of the lions had arrived early in new zealand some of them came to the classic one night and um, and so he was performing on stage at the Classic, having a great time. And then there was this lippy bunch started making themselves known. And he sort of went, who are you? And he went, oh, I've had to try. I've, I've traveled 12,000 <laughs> yeah. miles to yeah. try and get away from people like you. Yeah. Um, and so he really put them down. And he went backstage to the green room and I said to, he said, oh, I'm having so much trouble with that group. And I said, what you, what, um, I've had a look at them. And I said, you you've got to realise you're dealing with the Delta male. And he said, what's the Delta male? And I said, right, in that group, there's an alpha male. You aren't hearing from him. He's sitting there. You can tell he's there, but he's not saying anything. The Delta male is his little whiny mate mm. who's circling around him, trying to impress him with yeah, his trying lippiness. to become the next alpha male. And, and Stuart looked at me and said, that is an incredibly good insight. Thank you very much. He said, I've never really appreciated that before. And he said it really helped him to go back on stage and appreciate mm. it. And in the middle of that group was a very silent voice, mm. an alpha male, not participating, but his minions. But influencing it yeah, But by influencing being, with his minions yeah. and egging them on. So um, Stuart sort of used that to try and break down the group. And, and, the <laughs> and he writes about, I've read that book, he writes about that. He yeah. writes about the, the Jerry Springer ordeal yes and he mentions the new zealand show he even references the lines yeah to a people and but he raves about your venue which yeah. must have been pretty amazing oh we've we've used that quite find a out bit. on that uh, yeah yeah funny yeah. enough i've, I've how invited, could you not <laughs> i'm trying to get him back but of course he's yeah. got a wife and family now mm. and his wife's a superb comedian yes. um, and a fantastic journalist uh, and oh, she she <laughs> is um amazing and i love how they don't you know they God, I mean, it'd be awful to be billed as Stuart Lee's wife. That would yes. be such an insult to anyone, let alone let alone someone of her extraordinary yeah. talent. You know, so yeah. I love how they play it very. We should name her Bridget, Bridget Christie, exactly. so we're not referring say. to yeah, Stuart yeah, Lee's wife. I'm kind of doing it by yeah, doing Bridget that. I realise that, and, uh, but I, she is extra. I mean, her latest uh, show that's up yeah. is just. I've watched it three times. It's, well, I'm it's, trying to get the whole family oh. here. Um, and, well, that uh, needs so to be one of those form. times that you definitely mess with me, and 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 I might even you know sell something and spring for my own ticket to that. We, we, we were talking about, we, we got yeah. onto this because of yes. you know, the critiquing of comedy yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. how, and I think um, that, that it's valuable, you know, any any voice that people use to try and help them make mm. their choices about culture, mm. I mean, you if there's someone you disagree with their opinion, you, you 
you don't bother. I mean, I use the Chortle website in England for a lot of mm. my information about comedians, mm. and I only I've, and, and I get these comedians here, and they go, "Oh, we hate Chortle. We don't like the re- right. we don't like Steve Bennett's reviews, and we don't like Steve Bennett, and we don't like the things they say." And we try, mm. and I go, "Well, okay." And I never generally pass an opinion, but mm. I actually often agree with Steve Bennett's reviews on right. Chortle. Um, right. I will see the shows Steve sees, and I go, "Yeah, Steve, I feel the same way." So I actually quite value his yeah. opinion. Um, that would probably but horrify you know, some other thing, yeah, <laughs> Good. The other, the other thing with all of that, though, is, you know, you don't have to... It's one thing to read a reviewer or any kind of writer and and come out with some form of agreement around their, you know, what they've put. But it's another thing to just enjoy the writing. Like, you don't yeah. have to come out with the same... You don't have to go, that person convinced me. Mm. You know, some of my favourite um, reviews that I get to read that other people have written... Uh, when I see someone trying to take down something that I absolutely love, you know, like I can, I remember them, the the the, the negative reviews of Bob Dylan and Lou Reed more than I remember the positive reviews. You know, right, I, yeah. I, because, because I, because I kind of partly I want to know what the fuck they were thinking, if I think they're really wrong, but also like, people can write a really compel if they're good, they can write a really compelling argument in theory for or against anything mm. like well, a, good, also you, a good writer can you know and you you have to be very certain in your own mind uh, yeah. that your opinion is the only opinion whereas if you read something from a, a review that from a person who doesn't like something you like it sometimes opens your eyes because you mm. might say oh god someone's just slated Lou Reed's latest album and then you read the review and you go I never really put that part yeah, of Blue yeah, Reed yeah. In, in perspective, and and uh, and it might be that that in the process of slating the latest album, they're saying you know compared to yes. benchmark albums of the although, past. Although, you know. although he's a terrible example, because, yeah, it is a bad example. Uh, you know, I, lo- I love him so much, yeah. but God, he made far it's, far more shit albums than he made the, good the, ones. You could say that was part of that was part of his appeal. I mean, <laughs> comedians um, comedians age pretty well, but some of them don't. I yes. mean, I haven't enjoyed much of John Cleese. His work no, uh, for no. a long, long time. No, it's, I don't think he has no, either. Um, actually, if he's honest, I don't like Chris Rock. Yeah, um, neither. And, and he's really, go, he's really um, bottomed out for a guy who was. Yeah, huge. Like he's just. I think he. And he wasn't, uh, but the thing is, like you know, what, uh, my immediate thought, and I, I don't think I ever liked him, and I think I've heard you mention him before, but Paulie Shaw, for example, oh. as a guy who you know he did have a moment though. Did he? Now, oh. now his moment. Is as inexplicable as Reese Darby's. But is I think this moment personally. was on mo- in movies. Yeah, yeah, it was. Know, I'm, oh, I'm yeah, talking about t- live act. Yeah, you know? true. I mean, true. I never, I never bother with a Paulie Shaw movie. No, but uh, I've seen him live, and that was only, a disaster. That was a disaster, and it was such an interesting night because. Yeah. Um, I already knew he was a bad stand-up because yeah. uh, I had been warned, but I went to the comedy store on a trip there and not really knowing who I was going to see. It was one of those, you know, I've got a night in LA, let's go to the comedy store, everybody does. Mm. And um, and Richard Pryor was carried on by two um, uh, minders, two big, burly minders. Now, yeah. this was a Richard Pryor and his advanced MS. Right, end of day. Uh, end, end of, of days. days. Yeah. Uh, and he was carried on and, and everyone had to respectfully sit there and listen to him speak. Was it awful? It was awful. It was, it was a hostage situation. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, the MC that night was poorly sure mm. and that only compounded <laughs> yeah, the result. Yeah, yeah. Um, I God. just sat there going, I'm not allowed to, mate, but was there I, anything I would memorable love to on the heckle bill? you off stage. Was there anything memorable on no, that bill? No, no. I, 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 In between them? No. <laughs> I think there was. I think there were a couple of other comedians. That I, were I, decent, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, think maybe, I can't remember if it was that night. Um, 
no, I'm pretty sure I saw Judah Friedlander while I was there oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and a few others, but I don't know what nights they were. Um, Compared to other visits to LA where I'd been to the improv and seen Billy Crystal right. um, straight after I had marketed his movie Throw Mama from the Train, right. it, um, barely a month after I'd finished wow. marketing that movie, I was in Los Angeles and Billy Crystal was going back on the road and he did an impromptu spot at the, at the improv unannounced like I was sitting there. Oh, next up, ladies and gentlemen, a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Billy Crystal. And I went, what? You hear about these things. You yeah. hear you hear about, oh, you know, Louis C.K. is going to drop in yeah. and, and he, he does a, a set to 80, yeah. 80 people exactly instead of to... Yeah. So you've seen that with Billy Crystal. Yeah. Have you and had got, other examples? I went back the next night thinking, how often does this happen? Yeah, yeah. And Jay Leno came on. Wow. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and then even more... Now, how good was he? Because, brilliant, brilliant. Because that, that's another thing I can't, you know, quite reconcile. Like... Um, who did I interview that came out here a couple of years ago? Um, Rob Schneider. I yes, yeah. see, I don't rank Rob. Oh Schneider. no, 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 no. Yeah. But, but but he was enjoyable to interview. Yeah. Um, because he was quite he was quite strange to interview, but he was enjoyable. And part of his thing he was talking about was was Jay Leno and how uh, I think he got a compliment from him or something, and that's when he knew he was on the right track. But he was he sort of said, you know, this is when Jay Leno was was damn near the biggest force in stand-up comedy and I said yeah can you explain that a bit further to me because you know we didn't get his show really so and you know we didn't know about him until he had his show so I don't think New Zealanders have the full context of how good he is it's just people saying yeah that he was a master well that time when so I saw, saw him when I saw Jay Leno he didn't have his own show yeah he was actually that weekend um, was filling in for Johnny Carson. So he was just doing one of his reserve yeah. slots. Johnny Carson wasn't going to be there on the Friday night. So Jay Leno was going to go in and do the Friday night. Mm. So what happened is it was, it was the beginning of the week and Jay Leno said to the audience, hey, folks, I'm uh, I'm covering for Johnny this week on The Tonight Show. The whole crowd applauds because they know mm. how important that is. Mm. Uh, he said, so I'm going to run some material tonight, which I'll be using later in the week. Yeah. And he did. He did about 20 minutes of material trying out trying out stuff that either yeah. he had written or been written for him. Yeah, yeah, for and, and then I happened to watch Johnny Carson's show on Friday night. To see the greatest hits. And three see. minutes of that 20 <laughs> yes. that was on the show. But so how he, good was the other 17? Like, it was pretty good. But yeah. obviously he did the process of filter, 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 yes. edit, edit, edit. Yeah. Just the gold makes it to screen. Yeah. And and people go, oh, he's genius. And you go, yeah, well, there was a process that got to that point. Yeah. And, um, and I really admired what seen that process going, well, mm. it's not something we have in New Zealand. Uh, no. We don't have that we opportunity. We don't have that platform. <laughs> You don't have that not, platform. Yeah. So I, that was Jay Leno probably at his peak, you yeah, know, when he was yeah, just yeah. replacing Johnny. Yeah. Um, who, who knows, television does rot you. So he probably went downhill after TV yeah. came along because he wouldn't have been doing the live work as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I also saw Damon Wayans that same weekend and he, he, he died a horrible death. He came on impromptu at the, um, the improv. Uh, and everyone's like, Damon Wayans! The whole crowd got excited. Yeah. Well, he cleared the room, which is something a wow. comedian does. So he he wouldn't, he was dying, and then he said, right, I'm dying here, folks. I've got nothing. This is not going well. And he said, I'm not leaving the stage until you do. And so I sat there as the room quietly, you know, one at a time, yeah. table at a time, like got a up reset. and left. He kept going until there were six people left in the room, and there were five at a table over there and me sitting on my own. And I went... Oh, I'm not going to be the last. So uh, <laughs> I got up and I left. Yeah. But he had cleared the room. There was wow. a whole lot of comics waiting to come on after him in the open slot later in the evening when there mm. would be no one there. Mm. He had destroyed the club that night. 
I'd uh, never heard. I'd heard of people doing what, it. And what stage was he at in his career? He was not. You say Wayans, he was a big he was deal. Head, like he was not. He'd done movies. He'd yeah. done TV, and you know it was this after. Was, this was after. You know, some of his big movies. Yeah, 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 and all the all the run of movies after that. Yeah. So I actually watched the name comedian die yeah. in his ass and clear. So around. yeah, I was going to say I was. I wanted to get to that. Was you know obviously, Richard Pryor. You're seeing him at lowest point of his ability. But have you seen other? Uh, and maybe even in New Zealand, do you have memorable examples of comedians just... Because I, I reckon I've only seen two really bad die-on-stage comedians, and I actually, you know, I'd name them if I could remember them. But right. one was a Kiwi who had been in England for a long time, and he came back to do a small show at part of the comedy festival at Bats Theatre, and he came rocking out to this U2 music, and he sort of had sunglasses and a, a leather jacket on, and he was, you know, doing a very crude Bono impersonation and then he ditched that and got into his material and I mean I'd have to look his name up I wrote a review of him this is 10 odd years ago but it was just it was it was kind of amazing how bad he you know got to the yeah. point where he started mocking himself for jokes not going over right um, and then just just recently I was going to say I've only ever seen comedy in New Zealand but actually earlier this year we were in Melbourne when the comedy festival was on and we just took a punt on a guy that was you know, sort of hocking his own show. And he had all the confidence in the world selling us on the two-for-one tickets and the free drinks mm-hmm. at the bar. And then we got there with nine or ten other people in a tiny little speakeasy environment, and he was just fucking ghastly, like mm. so bad. And again, he got to the point where he's like, guys, I've got 20 more jokes to tell. And he, he was like a kind of liner oh, yes. comedian. I've got 20 more jokes to tell, and I'm just going to fire through them. I'm going to try and do them in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> And he, you know, and he would do them, and people were grown, and it even got to that point. There was a heckler. There was a guy sitting in front of me that was far funnier than the comedian. One of the few times that, you know, oh, usually, usually the power of a microphone can silence mm. even the best heckler and always the worst. But this was such a small room that, um, you know, this heckler, his material was going over better right. <laughs> than the comedian. Oh, so those are two really extreme examples. And I'm going to I'm gonna write about that. I've got a series of, I do occasionally about worst cultural experiences, and I'm going to write about that Melbourne comedian. Right. Not to... Was he a Melbourne comedian? He was, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, he was Australian. Yeah, Australian. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm yeah, pretty okay. sure he was Melbourne. I'm pretty sure yep. he, he referenced living quite close to the venue. Yep. So, yeah. He, uh, he was pretty early into it. Mm. Now, I'm not going to write something about it to, to destroy him. He destroyed himself. He did a far better job than I could do. But I do want to sort of revisit it at some point and talk about why it was so excruciating because it was almost a pleasure in how excruciating it was. Well, comedy is a naked art. Yeah. You know, and it, it's different from, saying going to see a band playing yeah. where you've got maybe four or five people on stage all working together to do something. Whereas when you go and see comedy, and, of course, when you've got no way of really knowing what you're going to see, yeah, yeah. You've, got quite this, you've got this experience of a person on stage who is the writer, the editor, mm-hmm. the director, the performer, the worst critic, the best critic. You know, the manager. The, the manager, <laughs> the whatever, the publicist. Yes, yeah. They're all on stage at the same time. Yeah, so yeah. There's a lot going on in the person's head, particularly yes. when they start failing, yeah. because it's incredibly personal, um, and you know it can it's incredibly painful for an audience to share that process yeah. with someone. Um, I was going to say I've seen bands start off terribly and they can redeem themselves, you right. know, like in a set, Good. and it's very rare that a comedian can do that. If if you know, occasionally you see a a, a bum note joke and then they yeah. finish strong, sure, but usually it's the beginning of the end, right? When yeah. they start to fail. But I've seen bands sound atrocious and again sometimes it's not their fault it's the sound system whatever it's the sound engine well, 
The um, the uh, the Melbourne Festival, yeah. of course, is an access festival, so yeah. anyone can do a show in the Melbourne yeah. Festival. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got that impression with what yeah. I saw. <laughs> Whereas the New Zealand Festival is curated, so yeah. um, it's very difficult for uh, for someone to um, very difficult for someone to get on stage who hasn't earned the right to be there. Yes, uh, yeah. Ac- according to uh, who 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 actually. Well, we decide that. How many people? Well, there's now. Hang on a minute, I'm just going to shut these two up. And then <laughs> oh, oi! Now, they, they, they tolerate each other yep. and then they um, and then they don't. There, um, initially, there was uh, the, the festival office and festival director. Other uh, mm. the people in that office have you know systems um, and research to do on on the pedigree of an actor that's applying. Mm. They have this year started up what we call an industry panel, which is a feedback from about half a dozen people spread around the industry yeah. who have a chance to see comedy throughout the year and participate in it. And so that industry panel voices an opinion. The new back. owners. Yeah, they actually have. The they use they use some survey. Um, uh, Survey monkey, yeah, and they they'll spend out a written survey, which uh-huh. which then everyone can refer to and go. These people are doing thinking of doing this in the festival. Mm. What do you think of your What's your opinion of that? Do you think they're capable of doing that? And do you think they can get themselves a crowd? Um, so it's actually quite a simple little honest process yeah, yeah, to yeah. go. Actually, no. I've, I've uh, anything we know about that act is that they're nowhere near that level yet to say put on a one hour yeah. show and so if someone's not at the level to put on a one hour show they might be encouraged to team up and maybe put two, on two, 20, a three hander yeah, yeah, 20 yeah. minutes each yeah. so we have um, quality control yeah. in the New Zealand festival and yeah. so you actually will go to people and say people are pitching 60 minutes 50 minutes and you, there'll you be some recommendations s- yeah, yeah, you can yeah. sort of say hone this back and, yep. and let's and, and, and it's sort of like let's see how this goes in next yeah. year and we've just had the uh, nominee, nominees for next year's Billy T award announced mm, mm. they're all interesting uh, they're all capable of putting on a good challenging hour um, and I, I think it's very healthy. I mean, I, it's one of the best, say, Billy T lineups I've ever seen, which is all part of this new process of yeah. getting people at the level they should be yeah. um, and hoping that they're qualified enough to go the next step. Um, so I, I figure we're going to see a continued um, uh, improvement in the quality of New Zealand comedy. Are you surprised, I would say pleasantly, but are you surprised that the Comedy Fest seems to continue and, and grow like you know it seems to be doing pretty well right like yeah, it's well, taken a lot it's funny been, enough we, we've got pretty much the same history the comedy yeah, festival started I was just say, as, it's very lined up with the classic right? we've both got about 25 years of history now yeah. and uh, all, all up um, uh, with the time before we opened the classic so we've and so we've actually grown together but I think both of us, both myself and the Classic and the Comedy Festival, you've got to know your limitations and the amount of time, you know, the, the amount mm. of money you've got to spend, the amount of time available to yeah. invest. You, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. There have been times when the festival has spread itself a bit thin. They haven't had the sponsorship and the dollars behind them. They mm. haven't had them per, the people enough people working for them i'm guilty of the same thing i can i can get involved with too much at one time yeah. and then things fall through the cracks we're trying to stop that happening um we're trying to get more people to be involved you could say in in the background mm-hmm. um it's all well and good to have performers but every one of those performers needs management they need P- pr mm. they need some form of um direction so it's in case of always having those resources available to try and help performers to improve. Mm. And I think we're seeing that now. And, um, the, and the advent of new media yeah. is certainly changing the, the, um, 
the field of play quite a lot because there are so many different things comedians can do now yeah. and content is king yeah. so comedians are starting to generate content you only yeah. have to look at say podcasts which you're part of that community yeah yeah see how many yeah, comedians, comedians have, have their own podcasts yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and i was going to say we haven't actually mentioned them but um you know like the giant role model for so many people is is mark maron yes in terms of you know i don't find him a particularly funny comedian and um yet He's clearly a funny guy yeah. in, in, in parts, and he's a very good interviewer, and he can be excruciating. As he's found his place. But he's found his place, yeah. and then it's regenerated his career. People, he, was, he has a podcast audience that goes to see him when he tours live He now. was foundering, actually, as a yeah. comedian. Um, and I saw him a long, long time ago in Montreal when he was much, much younger, yeah. uh, and then saw him in Edinburgh dying on his ass. Yeah. Um, a, a typical example of not all comedy translates across the water. Yeah, yeah. There are American comedians who will probably never succeed in England and yeah. he's won yeah um, because oh, he seems to have I mean I've listened to I listen to his show pretty pretty uh, all the time you know I haven't listened to the, the first couple of hundred episodes but I've followed it for years and um, he seems to have a very thin understanding of British comedy yes. you know he I've heard him do interviews with people like like Stuart Lee yeah. and he's aware of him but he's not aware of you know and he's aware of Monty Python and, and you know pretty obvious touch tones but there's whole gaps. In well, this. he's a good example of the sort yeah. of American comedian yeah, yeah, I would yeah. never bring to New Zealand. Yeah, right. Because um, I just don't think they understand. Well, the, don't the you culture. think? Don't you think he'd go very well now? But the thing is, because of the podcast. Go, <laughs> yeah, that's the danger: is that people mm. would go to see him because of their podcast. A mm. podcast is not the same as a live show. Yeah, yeah. You know, listen to him on the radio, all well and good, but you might find that when you go to see them live, and yeah. you go, oh god, yeah. you know, I don't like your personality. No. I don't like what you've got to say on yeah, the stage. Yeah. A comedian is a different animal to a podcaster. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't think because you can become famous as a podcaster, you suddenly can go out and use that to become a famous comedian. Mm. Yeah. I guess he, I mean, he's got a pedigree in that he was trying. Yeah. You know, like, and there's, but yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many clips of early footage of him and he's, he's ghastly. Yeah. You know, and, like, and, it, it, and even some of his specials in the last few years. I don't think he will have changed his stripes. He uh, will still be an ordinary comedian. Yeah. Um, and that's great. He's becoming, he's, I, I mean, I watched his latest special and I think it's quite good, but he's almost like, he almost needs to step outside of the role of even considering himself a comedian. Like He's a good example of that modern-day philosophy thing. He's quite mm. a good commentator. Yeah. But listening to his latest special, I would equate it with like going and listening to someone like Henry Rollins. Maybe who, maybe Mark you know? Maron should change his name, to, to change his career to spoken word artist. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, almost, uh, but, yeah. you know, like, well, he's doing just fine, so he doesn't need to take our advice. You know, now he's doing okay. But, uh, yeah, I derailed you there. Like, uh, comedians get to host their own podcasts, not yeah. just be guests on it. Right. Several yeah. comedians yeah. host their own podcasts. Several comedians have for many years used Twitter quite brilliantly. Mm. It's instant gratification to try out material. Well, if you're a liner comedian, yeah. comedian tw Twitter is your ideal is you, platform. Yeah. yeah. Except, and I've heard your, some of your thoughts on this, do, do you... you worry about people giving away the, that material for free in a sense well I, I wonder about the motives it's yeah. very difficult to monetize a podcast at the moment or, you know people are learning to oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, um, no. you don't need to tell me no I'm, thank you uh, yeah um, I, I appreciate what Louis CK did Louis CK released one of his albums on a download yeah, at five yeah. five dollars a download he cut out all the middlemen yes, yeah. um, it was a very successful exercise for him and it sort of made people realize there are other ways to do this but on uh, the flip side he yeah. possibly locked some women in rooms and masturbated in front 
one of them. That's so. that's another possibility. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen the release of that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but the thing is that the, the there are different ways to skin a cat now when you're mm. a comedian mm-hmm. and how to make a career. Now people like Louis C.K. will make up a new show every year. Yeah. Uh, there are comedians who would do that who can generate a brand new one hour show yeah, yeah. every year. Um, you recently saw James A. Castor, and he's been doing that uh, British comedian a new oh, show every year. Me. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. And he's to a trilogy. I mean, a yeah. new show every year for three years, relating to a trilogy, which he's now recording as a trilogy. Wow. I think for Netflix, um, and that you know, so he's gonna he's monetizing that beautifully. Yeah, yeah. But if you could produce a new show every year, then of course at the end of that year you can record it and you can release it knowing that you don't need that material anymore. Mm, yeah. That's safe. But if you're a jobbing club comedian, yeah, yeah, yeah. then sometimes your five-year-old comedi- comedy is still your bread and butter. Yes, yeah. And you don't want to burn it. Yeah. Uh, now, you will burn it on national TV very quickly. Um, I've had good chats with Steve Wrigley about that. Yeah, like yeah. He, you know, he'd talk about material that he would never use in Wellington or Auckland, but if he goes to a small town in New Zealand that he maybe used to do once a year, he would pull out stuff from five yeah. years ago and people loved it. You yeah. know, it was really... And he would say, it's not my best material either, but it's the best material for that audience. I, it's one of the lessons I teach comedians is you don't think you have to lose material just because it's old. Brendan yeah. Lovegrove is a fine exponent of, of remixing old yeah. comedy. Yeah. And, uh, and he will bring out an old line if it seems appropriate at that moment on yeah. stage. It yeah. might be something the audience has said. And, and he'll go, right, I have a bit tucked away in my mind from oh, 10 years ago that yeah. suits this audience tonight. Right now, yeah. Right now. And he will do it. And, of course, us at the back... And the other comedians would go, oh, my God, Brendan just did the such-and-such gag. Oh, I haven't heard that for... Sometimes yeah. it's quite wonderful. You go, oh, yeah. I haven't heard that for so long. It's such a good gag. I'm glad I've heard it again. Um, the audience, of course, are going, wow, have you heard his new material? Yeah. And you go, but if you've been a comedian for 25 years like yeah. Brendan Lovegrove, if you perform something in 2017, for that audience, it's going to be new. For yeah. the person in 1997, yeah. it was new as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And... and Somewhere in there is that strange beast that went to both of those shows and, yeah, and lo- loved hearing the callback, just like they go and hear the Rolling Stones play Satisfaction. Yeah, know, maybe like. not so much for comedians, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, 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 the wonderful thing about comedy is you laugh, you're laughing at what you didn't expect. Yeah. Of course, if you you know it off by heart, then you uh, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. I have watched comedians again and again and again doing the same material, and I, I enjoy it for all sorts of different reasons. I really yeah. enjoy knowing a good bit's coming up. And watching sh- how that audience watching, is gonna how it's gonna play impact. with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so the same could be said. Louis C.K. obviously doesn't mind burning shows once every year. Yeah. He backs himself as a comedian. He's that good. He's oh look, I'll yeah. have another good show within another year. Yeah. Um yeah. so and I can take that on the road and that's how they make their living. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but not everyone is capable of that. No, uh, that's and right. Maybe your Mark Marins are not capable of writing such a good quality show yeah. every year. Yeah. Um like that so yeah yeah horses for courses uh what what um james acast is a brilliant example though of someone who you know i've I've seen him a couple of times and he's gone from very very good to i guess simply extraordinary like it was very hard to kind of even try and encapsulate that last show he's doing something with the medium that you know you can only sit there in in awe of Um, yeah uh, you know the the amount of applause breaks that guy gets yeah. from the audience going we're laughing but now we're we are applauding I mean, the craft. He, I, you know, I was yeah. going to say he's comparable to Stuart Lee yes. in not not in terms of the material or even the presentation, but in the 
and the thought that goes into it all, the overarching concept and the yeah. experimentation with form, right? Yeah. Like, well, Stuart Lee will be commentating on things in society and yes. politics, yeah. issues and stuff. You know, him and his wife must have wonderful debates at home and discussions oh, about about issues of the day watching bridget christie's yeah. show as i say i watched it three three times right through they are they are just real... made me think jesus imagine these t- yeah <laughs> imagine these what their kids home. must be like yeah um, exactly. so they are issues based comedians yes. now it's interesting because acaster is the complete antithesis of yeah. that if there's anything yeah. that his comedy is completely devoid of it is usually issues yeah yeah um so he's working as an escapist like for four people you know yeah. it's for uh, people to go and enjoy. He creates a world uh, entertainment, usually his right. own world yeah. um, uh, but he creates a little world that you then uh, um, get dragged into and uh, and it's just funny and absurd yeah. and uh, and and you, the, so surprising, constantly surprising, and the craft that's involved with sort of the callbacks and the twists and turns mm. and how he uses narrative, um, you go, wow. Uh, you can only imagine him writing an amazing movie script or yeah, something. He yeah. must be capable of that with yeah, yet yeah. to come. Uh, he's or, not coming to New Zealand next year for the very reason that... Um, <laughs> He has now been picked up for a number of projects yeah. that, that he said, I won't be on the stand-up stage next year. Yeah. Um, it'll be TV and film kind of stuff, mm. uh, which is bound to happen, but of course is our loss yeah. because we don't get to see another show. Uh, I wanted to ask you a while back what, what you kind of... Um, and, I, you know, I was just thinking about James A. Caster's shows, how, that, how, how those have played, how this must be an example of it. I wanted to ask you what you what you're in this for you know beyond a paycheck which obviously you get to, to some degree yeah like you've built a career for yourself and there's this probably quite humbling situation where you've you've helped build careers for many people mm-hmm. um but why are you still in it and what are you getting out of it uh in terms of it strikes me you're very much a fan of comedy still yeah I, it's funny enough i'm I, it's a bit of a um vicarious experience yeah i love attracting audiences to shows that i've had something to do with the crafting of yeah so at the moment i have that wonderful sort of like they're not only coming to my venue um they're also so they've got they're coming into a venue which i've had something to do with the crafting of they're also coming to see the show in that venue so i get sort of a i'm getting a double whammy i get lovely feedback from people about the classic I mean, to have international comedians arrive in New Zealand and go, firstly, tell me, oh, God, we've heard of the classic. We mm. can't wait to perform there. Mm. And I go, oh, God, don't raise the expectations <laughs> We read about too it in yeah, book. <laughs> and, they, and they often do, and you go, oh, God, I hope, yeah, we, can, yeah. I hope we can live up to this. Yes. And then after they've done their season, they come off and go, one of the most pleasurable festival seasons I've ever had in my life. And I go, great. That's fantastic. That's another another person going out and spreading the gospel of classic yeah, yeah so that we have i have them audiences and performers loving the venue i also have them loving the comedy i hope and also that wonderful thing about seeing new things like yes. i saw james acaster something like five six years ago in a portacom venue in edinburgh with 30 people you yeah. know and seeing that show for the first time and going uh-oh, here, this is a game changer. This guy's yeah, doing yeah. something that no one else is. And go, and then having to wait six months until it got to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I see it in August and it yeah. doesn't come until May. And I go, I can't wait for audiences to see James yeah. Acaster. Yeah. So you can imagine the wonderful feeling it is to to, yeah. to to bring James Acaster here, to put him on at my venue in front of our audiences and, and then to see the reaction and then to have him say, Scott, I wouldn't play any other venue in New Zealand. 
and, and he did. I made him play another venue in New Zealand because I thought his show was better suited mm. to the Basement Theatre mm. in, um, in Auckland. And he came back last year and played the Basement Theatre and he said, you were right all along. <laughs> he said, I shouldn't have been in the classic. I should have been in the basement. And I said, sorry, James, I did tell you. So. Have you had examples of, can you think of, exa- and obviously just like a comedian working, you're honing your craft the whole time. Um, have you got it spectacularly wrong or even a little bit wrong in terms of seeing something overseas? I've got a vision to bring that to New Zealand. That's yep. going to work and it does not. Yep. I sometimes get sucked in by the whole fringe, yeah. fringe experience in Edinburgh. Yeah, I, I like to warn people when they're going to Edinburgh and they're looking at shows. Remember, there's a fringe festival in Edinburgh. Yes. It's a comedy festival in New Zealand. Yes. I have to wake up every morning and punch myself in the mirror in Edinburgh going, Scott, it's a comedy festival in New Zealand. <laughs> it's a fringe festival in Edinburgh. <laughs> Beware. And still I bring Tony Lee the comedy hypnotist to New Zealand <laughs> and put him on at Sky City Theatre thinking, this will change the New Zealand Comedy Festival. And then afterwards going, Scott, it's a fringe festival in Edinburgh. It's a comedy <laughs> festival in New Zealand. Uh, note to self, try and not bring a comedy hypnotist mm. to New Zealand. Mm. And there's been a few other comedians who I won't name who yeah, afterwards yeah. I've gone... Uh, in hindsight, maybe not the yeah, best Yeah, no, choice. I'm not looking yeah, for you yeah, to, to, to name the names. I'm just but, thinking... But, like, uh, yeah, getting yeah. it wrong. I mean, hell, if you're not failing, you're not trying, are you? There's yeah, those yeah, famous yeah, yeah. quotes, and I yeah. won't try and even think of them. But if you're not failing, and that yeah. goes for comedians, if you're not failing, yeah, and you're probably not pushing the envelope. Yeah, and, yeah, you'd be, yeah. Well, it's like, um, yeah, Jay Leno, once he gets the TV gig, yep. and, you know, obviously there's a mighty paycheck with that, but there's yeah. no reason to go out and try much, is there? You've got to no, no, capture an audience. I, and you, you, you know, most comedians will say after a month of not being on stage, they will be worried that they've gone stale. And that's only a month. Yeah. So you wander off for a year or so doing TV and then come back to a comedy stage, even the best professionals will be nervous yeah. about their material yeah. um, because they go, I just not match fit. And we yeah. talk about match fitness in comedy and it, it does, it's a certain thing that if you're not gigging all the time, you lose your match fitness. So. And there are these people, you know, you were saying like there's new new mediums, like new, new uh, media helps. There are people that are all over their own Facebook page and that that's part of their comedy or Twitter or whatever, but that's still not the same as standing up in front of an audience. No. It, no, might, I, give, it might give them something. I have seen a few things like that taken to the live stage, you know, from, yeah. and you go, whoa, boy, that's a big call, that that, yeah. that thing over there that was, you know, say a podcast. Yeah. Um, I can be proven wrong, and this is where I have to realise that I'm not of that generation, so yes. I'm, I'm not attached to podcasts. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you, way, have, you have been this way. No, I have been, but yeah, but, <laughs> but, but uh, and, and love it because yeah. you can actually talk on a podcast. Yeah. Um, when you're given three minutes on TV to, yeah, to yeah. talk about to talk about twenty years, years of classic, it's very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah. You're you're talking in sound bites. Yes. Um, but the the I appreciate that there's a younger generation who have have a different. Um, uh, frame of reference. I never really understood improv that much, mm. and I know people flock to see live improv, mm. um, but that's not something that ever pushed my buttons. Mm, mm. Um, although I will admire seeing someone like Robin Williams, who I got to see in San Francisco, uh, very wow. very late in his this... oh, very late in his career, right. I mean, well after he had stopped performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was this was only. Um, this was only about 10 years ago. Right. And I happened to be at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. I'd gone to see Rick Overton, yep. an American comedian who I knew and who was headlining, but Rick Overton just happened to be 
Robin Williams' old improv partner from 20 wow. years before. And, um, and Rick was headlining, and he finished his set, which was a great set, and he said, well, ladies and gentlemen, normally I finish now, and we'd all go home, but an old friend of mine's just dropped in, and uh, here he is, out of the kitchen, yeah. of course. Always got to come out of the kitchen. <laughs> um, Robin Williams comes through the kitchen and onto the stage at Cobb's, and they do another 40 minutes of improv wow. together. And I went, well, that's what this is about. Have yeah. you, have you, there's a cult of personality thing with that stuff too, where it's like, you know, Robin Williams at that point in his career, even if he wasn't that funny, you're still seeing... Yeah, it was genius. It was I very, be, very funny. But yeah. have, you see, have you seen that footage, because I only just saw it recently, um, of a stand-up show he did in, I think, 79, and he's doing it to sort of... There's a lot of industry people in the audience. There's a lot of the cast of Happy Days, and... Um, at the end, what's that wasn't, That's not the one where he's live in San Francisco. It's, that's a uh, great, famous one. He, yeah, he's no, running up and down the aisles no, of that's, the theatre. No, no, that's from uh, that's from a couple of years on. Completely off his head. That's amazing, that yeah, one. It's that great was, for watching that was, because you found out in hindsight he yes. was completely oh, high. totally. Totally high. That's, and you see him do the show totally high. That was, um, that, you know, was as important or more important in my teenage years as watching... Again and again, yeah. Eddie Murphy, Delirious. You know, it was a similar sort of thing. Just, just trying to analyse it, just watching it. Yeah. No, but there's this thing where at the end he starts trying to do a bit of improv stuff, and it's all a bit silly. And then he points to John Ritter, as in the audience, and um, Three's Company was obviously massive. Yeah. And he says, "I want to improvise with that motherfucker right there." And um, John Ritter gets up, and they, neither of them really has a clue what they're going to do. Yeah. And they soldier on for about 15 minutes, and it's really not funny. Oh, dear. Uh, but everyone loves it because oh, okay. of who they were, you know? Like, it was like genius pairing of these two fairly, well, big, must fairly admit, big names. But that God, cult, that cult of celebrity yes. in America I, yeah. is not something I'm a great fan of. And, no. and where where a person's reputation far exceeds their talent. Yeah. And, of course, you do get that in America. Yeah. Where you go, well, that's why I find it difficult to bring American comedians because mm. I go, I think sometimes your reputation is bigger than your actual talent and yeah. your actual live show. Yeah. So you might be fun to have here like in an interview. Mark Maron. Mark, Mark Maron might be one. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not sure that a whole hour of you is yes. actually going to deliver what, yeah. say, an hour of a grassroots comedian from the UK yeah. is going to do. You know. And so, you, you know, you said our, our comedians are kind of generally narrative-based storytelling. Yeah. You, know, you talked about the hypnosis not working, and, you know, I, yeah, I've got to admit, I've, I've seen things like comedy magicians and stuff, and it doesn't really do it for me, and I've seen a comedy hypnotist, and I sort of got pretty bored by it, even though he clearly is very clever. Yeah. Um, do we mostly, as audiences, is that what we like? The, the storytelling narrative stuff do you think is that I think most of our most successful comedians are, are doing that or, but or, I mean in terms of international people do you think that, that goes over the best yeah I think it yeah. does I think um, uh, it seems to fit the yeah. New Zealand voice yeah yeah. Um, uh, we, we actually some of our comedians have made great MCs overseas mm. because we, uh, we naturally just engage the audience um, mm. uh, like in New Zealand to be a good comedian you've got to be able to do it all. Yeah. You have to be a good MC, a good headliner, a good support. Yeah. You can't really rest on your laurels. So our comedians go overseas and they're really useful. It's like it's like New Zealand bar staff. Utility yeah, they're really good. <laughs> New Zealanders make yeah. good bar staff overseas yes. because they actually do a job yeah. and they do an honest day's work. And I think comedians, our comedians go overseas and they really do to an do honest... The comedy equivalent of that honest yeah, day's yeah. work yeah you know, they actually yeah. uh, um they're a, they're a joy to work with yeah um, they appreciate while they're there they don't take any 
anything for granted. Um, and yeah, well, we sort of um, probably understand now that there is an inherent comedy in New Zealand, but really, comedy has come from everywhere else first. Yeah. So it makes sense that travelling, part of part of travelling as a comedian, is to go and see where it came from and take your version of it to the source and see, yeah. you know, see how you go. I mean, we might change the world when it yeah. comes to comedy. Uh, you know, I was saying, touched on it earlier before, New Zealand is, uh, we are in the temperate zone on the globe. Yeah. We're a very temperate country. We don't have even the, you know, the Australia, Australia has extremes. It's got vicious animals. Yes. It's got vicious people. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's got, you know, it yeah. has those extremes. It's got quite the, a few uh, of them into uh, its government. Other yeah. places. Whereas New Zealand, I think, our, if anything, our comedy reflects the lovely sort of middling temperate zone of New Zealand. Yeah, Nothing too extreme. Yes. Yeah, we're all in Inside a certain yeah, inside. yeah, which is but but um and uh and just good to hang out with, mm. good company, um a good night out, uh but we haven't had comedians that change the way people think. No, um, it's a dangerous zone to be in. Yeah, I, I, I've had a few comedians who have tried to change the way people think. Yeah, um and I think you've got to be very careful about that because New Zealanders don't tend to be too much into political Who comedy. Who would be an example of that, do you think? Well, a lovely young man called Benjamin Krillin. Oh, yeah, yeah, and Now, yeah, now yeah, Benjamin yeah. is a lovely, honest young yes. comedian. Um, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. He's very, very concerned about the world in general and about issues. Yes. And I have often had discussions with him about mission over mischief. And I said, sometimes you go out on stage, Benjamin, and you say to people, you know, um, uh, you need to listen to me, people. And I said, mm. that's a dangerous thing to say to a live audience. You need to listen to me, people. <laughs> yes, go, yeah. I said, what's starting to come across is that you're on a mission. And I think you should be more about mischief. Yes. You know, you, obviously there are things you need to, you feel need taking down. Take them down with a sense of mischief, mm. not with a sense of mission. Like and, Stuart Lee, for example, yeah, yeah. Is, so is a very good yeah. example so of that. You've yeah. got to be, you've got to strike a happy balance. Yeah. And I think, um, and New Zealand audiences never seem to be care that much about politics mm. at a live comedy gig. Mm. We might care about it maybe on in podcasts and in opinion columns yes. and in the print, but I've never seen a New Zealand audience sit there and. And, and going, tell us some Jacinda Ardern jokes. Tell us some Bill English jokes. Bill English jokes are the most boring thing in the world. Um, you know, there's yeah, nothing I mean, how there. Could they, how, yeah. how, could they, how could they transcend their subject, yeah. you know? Even, their subject even matter. John Key. Apparently you could, yeah. you could poke a bit of fun at them, but no one wanted the show to be all about John Key. They mm. wanted to be... Often people go to comedy to get away from that part of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, um, what's his name... Um, Who's this? Jeremy... Jeremy Elwood? Elwood. Michelle Accord. Yeah, yeah. Jer- is, 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 well, well, it's been a while since I've seen him perform, but he always incorporated elements of He's political doing, comedy. Him and Michelle and are both yeah. do a pretty good job of bringing yeah. some of the great current issues into comedy, and they yeah. write good columns about yes, it. Yes, I was going to say and, that Michelle um, particularly has the I think that column aspect to it. Too. They're both yeah. in action all the time when yeah. it comes to issues and stuff, and Jeremy is a lead writer on the project yes. on TV3. Yeah. He also sometimes is on the project. He's also on Seven Days. Yes. So he has a wonderful vent for yes. his kind of comedy, and he gets a chance to vent through the writing for things like project in seven days yeah. and through the newspaper columns which is good because when he hits the comedy stage that is still there yes. but it's not his only platform yeah um so he doesn't have to fill the whole gig with all yeah. those issues yeah. he will touch on them because of, and often get a great reaction yeah but he won't labor the point yeah and he's been around doing it long enough to know that yeah if i do a purely politics show uh, people don't care no i mean you, you could know, do that for yeah. the festival yeah like, yeah, yeah. Come, do, come it, see my... do it around the election time whatever like mm. do it as a gimmick yeah. do it as a one-off but don't don't pursue that as a full line of work because yeah. the audience isn't going to come back. 
Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, are you going to write a book? I've been told I should write a book. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of those I things, just... I better write it before I forget stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I really... I well, it's, think... it's missing, though, isn't it? A book about New Zealand comedy. I remember years ago, when I was regularly reviewing comedy, a friend, a friend said to me, you should write a book about, um, you know, going and interviewing the New Zealand comedians and getting yeah. their story and stuff. And I, so I said, not enough of them will talk to me, so yeah. like, we'll just bury that... Um, there, which is, uh, well, we still think is the case, but your story is is really the one that can tell not only what you've done and why you've done it, but you can access directly well, all these people. Well, if nothing else, I can provide a timeline which yeah. someone could build the story around. Yeah. Uh, and and then it would sit on the bookshelf next to the Fred Dagg album and the Funny Business album. Yes. And there could be this little book that sort and, of fills in the gaps. And a, a week of it by <laughs> a week, the, yeah, the, yeah, uh, or the Or the Night at the Classic box set DVD <laughs> collection. Uh, we even found a whole lot of Live at the Classic um CDs the other day, oh, yeah. a couple of hundred of them that were recorded back in 1999. Wow. And so yeah, it's Mike, Mike King, that. Michelle A. Court, Jack yes. Tweedy, uh, Andrew Kovacevic, Andrew Clay, and uh, and some of them are no longer performing. Andrew yes. Kovacevic has passed on, but it's fantastic hearing his voice again. And yeah. you go, oh, now that's the value of these things is yeah. having that recorded for posterity. Um, and be able to go back and go, oh, I could just picture Andrew Kovacevic delivering those jokes. Um, and Was uh, it a bit cringe, though, as well? No, not at all, actually. Not it was good joke-telling. He was a joke-teller, which back then people craved, you know. Mm. And But he was also a poet. He also had a lovely, gravelly voice, and it was like, oh, it's just nice to, you know, he was a cantankerous bastard, um, uh, and he drank appalling drinks, Uzo <laughs> and pineapple. <laughs> Uzo and pineapple. No one has ever come to the classic bar and ever ordered. Or was it Uzo and Coke? No, it was Perno. It was Perno and pineapple, I think. Yeah, well, Far out. Something revolting. Was he, go, a, he was, was a growing man. Was he at a beach party in Brooks <laughs> Bay in the, in the fucking early 90s? Or it was, was, J, or it was JDs and Coke. So it was, it was uh, a, a yeah, well, that, that was when he was having a classy night. Yeah, um, so, but it's, it is lovely having those things recorded. Yeah. So you're right. A book should be written yes. purely because all these stories will one day be lost or forgotten. Yeah. And someone at the 40th anniversary of the classic might want to blow the dust off it and go, let's just think back. To yeah. some fond d- a time when the when the will it last that long? Do you think? Uh, is that the aim? Well, look, if it will last that long, if we have anything to do with it, yeah. But there are probably property developers. There's yes. probably some tunnelers uh, up in Auckland. Yeah. There'll be a tunnel to go somewhere. There'll be a, a building to be built, a car park to be what, put up. Mm. What I'm wondering is, what's your uh, thoughts around your own personal? exit strategy or continued longevity in this well, I, industry? I, I have an eight-year-old boy and a yep. six-year-old boy. Yep. I've only got to last another ten years before one of them can start <laughs> washing glasses at yes. the Classic. Yep. And then it only needs to be about another three or four years before they can actually manage the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, do they know this? I mean, oh, they do. Yeah. You will see them. Uh, they're <laughs> going to be on TV, I think, to, uh, uh, very shortly, um, yeah. uh, doing exactly that job. Um, Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas, for his eighth birthday, was allowed to come in and seat an audience for the festival oh, cool. uh, and, and help tear the tickets mm. and uh, help start up the PA and turn it on. It was a little birthday present to him to um, to get a sort of feeling for what it was like to work a night at the Classic because mm. he's obviously, he's been raised on it. He's spent his childhood in a, either in a bassinet in the front bar or or, um, mm. or running around as a three-year-old breaking things. How uh, <laughs> involved in the venue and the comedy world is your wife and how does she... 
deal with it. She helped me run the place before our children came along. Yeah. And um, so she, she definitely knows how the place runs. Yeah. Um, she knows how badly I run it. Uh, so <laughs> she, um, she is very supportive of my latest manager who's been doing the job for eight years and who is incredible, Lauren Griffin. Um, and uh, Bridget is very appreciative of Lauren's efforts uh, doing a better job than I could. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, but so she, she appreciates what I do. And, um, is and she, I mean, obviously on some level she has to be, but is she... A comedy fan, and does she enjoy what no, it's brought into her life, knew, or does she maintain a healthy distance from that for sanity? She knew nothing <laughs> about comedy before she met me, really, and yeah. I I got her to quit her job in Wellington, and her very first job was to road manage Danny Boy around the oh, North right. Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, on one so, of his frequent trips. frequent trips. So she got to road, she so that her first comedy job was road managing an international comedian yeah, around the so North Island. By fire. And then arrived in Auckland and and, uh, and helped me manage the classic. But she always said to me what she, uh, very early on um, she said my god she said you know these comedians are some of the most articulate and well-informed people mm. I've ever met. Mm. She said they seem to know Everything, uh, particularly, of course, she she had met Jeremy Elwood and Michelle Accord, two of the probably most informed comedians yeah, in the yeah. country, and uh, but even you know, and others like Andrew Clay and stuff. She said they all know everything, mm. and they've all got great opinions, and they all articulate themselves so well. And mm. I said, yeah, isn't that a fun place to work? Yeah, which is why, again, it's why they're good um, podcast podcast hosts and guests. You know, like the 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 they like to talk. Yeah. You know. Well, you see them on the, like on radio and you see them yeah, on the yeah, panel, yeah, yeah. the panel, and they'll have two or three serious people, yeah. and then they'll have a comedian doing yeah. the sidebar the comments, and then you look at that's how the project on TV3 yeah. has been built. Yeah. Um, and Jesse Mulligan, no one really appreciates that he was a comedian, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that was his starting point, but he's now a leader of that yeah. team. Um, and Kanoa alongside them, but quite yeah. often it's comedians sidekicking, yeah, yeah, providing yeah. sidebar comments, and that's yeah. exactly what they are used often as. They just have days. to get rid of Josh because he's pretty useless. <laughs> well, I know. think that's the, that's his charm actually. Is people it? look at him and go, "Why is he there?" Yeah, and I suppose people look at it. Well, isn't it great that someone like Josh can be on TV? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it feels like. A, I mean, it's cruel to say, but it feels like a, the 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 concept there was around demographic. Over talent. You I know, think I, they I, also I, wanted someone right outside the square, which is what they've got. Yeah, and I can admire that. Josh has admired, and um, uh, of course, he, some yeah. of his TV and film work. Um, the stuff is the wonderful, direct. the wonderful Gary of the Pacific, yeah, for example. example. Yeah. <laughs> but he also directed a night at the classic, the, yeah, uh, the right. TV series. Yeah, and there were yeah. some lovely moments in that. He's got a keen comedy eye. Yes. Um, you know, no, he, he he will be the first one to say that he is not an issues-based comedian who, mm. like, under like of Jeremy Elwood or even. Um, Ben Hurley or or, or Reese Mathewson. Um, he's a different sort of animal, um, mm. but there's a certain charm which the industry enjoys with Josh. Um, mm. He often is a bit chaotic and off sometimes the least prepared, or appears to be. Mm. Um, and but. Uh, he brings another voice. You know, is he filling a demographic? I think there are plenty of people that can fill the demographics these days. Mm. We don't even have to struggle these days to get diversity in New yeah. Zealand comedy. We, we enjoy a wonderful... Which, of course, you know, it's great, obviously. Yeah, it's but, changed. You know, I mean, a... if you get onto the diversity of comedy, there's yeah. another 80-minute podcast. Sure. Um, but there's been a fantastic increase in diversity yeah. right across the board in the last yeah. five to ten years. Yeah. And we, we should touch on, I guess... Um, What's the show called? Funny Girls. Yes, coming up. A third series has been shooting But right also now. that's a, a great example of, um, and I've, I've only seen little bits of it, but everything I've seen, usually just the sort of viral, I mean, I live without a TV for a long time, yeah. so I might watch the upcoming series. But, 
usually the sort of viral hit stuff that's that's made it to people's Facebook feeds. But everything I've seen, I've thought it's pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty good or very good. You know, and they've like, got a third yeah, yeah, series, yeah, yeah, so, which um, is and, a, that's a milestone. And yeah, a landmark and, achievement. And yeah, it's great. But uh, that's that speaks to not just the diversity, but uh, well, part and part of the diversity is not just female voices in an argument against that whole bullshit women aren't funny crap, which you know, uh, whatever, is, is obviously garbage. But um, also younger people, you know, yeah. younger people, next generation. Well, well that's the thing. The, yeah. the winners of our Raw Comedy Quest for the last mm. three years have all been female comedians. Um, mm. It was Ruby Esther, 17 years of age. Yes. Wow. 17? Wow. Won the Raw Comedy Quest this year. Last year it was uh, Lucy Roche from yeah. Wellington. And the year before that, Melanie Bracewell, who we see a lot more of mm. on TV now mm. and who is going fantastically in front of live audiences. Um, and Savannah uh, Calton from mm. Wellington. Um, so, and previously Sarah Harper from Wellington had won it a few years ago. So there's been a real increase in the quality of, of young comedians coming through. I, Certainly the numbers of females. I haven't seen him perform for a while, but Sarah's no. a good example of someone that, um, see, I always thought was quite a good example of someone that's quite unafraid about, um, the material bombing and, yeah. the, and the persona not sitting. Like yeah, almost, she, almost self-sabotaging. She doesn't, she didn't really do, say, for instance, compare it to, say, Melanie Bracewell. Yeah. Melanie Bracewell is doing much more traditional stand and deliver yeah. stand-up. Yeah. You know, uh, bouncing off the audience, lots of current stuff, lots of stuff about being a, um, a modern person, modern kid in the current culture, yeah. stuff about Tinder uh, and all. Um, Sarah was a, a little bit more quirky, a little yeah, bit off-centre, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she wasn't going to compromise that, so she didn't immediately find mainstream audiences. No. Um, she got thrust in front of mainstream audiences because yeah. of who she was and what she was doing, which doesn't necessarily work. Sometimes comedians doing that sort of thing have to go and find their audience and perform to their audience yeah. and stay away from um, the other stages we specialize in club comedy not everyone is a club comedian yeah um so you know you don't want to go and do club comedy if you haven't got club comedy material yeah yeah uh, and so whereas and i suppose these days we're getting a lot more who are capable of doing it uh, yeah we, in the next five years people are going to be stunned by the number of female comedians coming through I see them now at yeah. the grassroots level. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Look out for Alice Sneddon, Lana Walters, Bridget Davies. Um, who else is coming through? Louise Bovink. Uh, uh, and then my current crop of raw comedians coming through. Angela Dravid. Um, she's just emerged. All with different voices. Yeah. Uh, and all very certain about what they're doing on stage. Yeah, yeah. 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 What are their... Um I mean, you can't speak for 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 all of them, and and um, but what are their sort of motivations and influences and stuff? Do you know much about that? Like, well, hopefully, we're an influence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping the classic yeah. is and remains of course. an influence. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it certainly is a platform. It's a school of comedy. Um, I'm just thinking, like, I think the only comedian I've had, I've, t I've had a few conversations with comedians about about coming on the podcast, and then it hasn't happened for different reasons. But um, I no one's sort of stood me up and flat out said no or anything it just hasn't sort of worked out but I think the only comedian I might have talked to is Alice Bryan right and but you know I was interested in I talked to her you know a couple of years ago and I was interested in in how many things about her but also how she didn't appear to have um any huge reverence for a lot of the traditional aspects of comedy, which I always sort of thought was disappointing until I talked to her about it, and then I thought well, that's actually quite encouraging. Like, why be, you know, why be sort of tied to 
Well, Alice, is, she's currently in the UK. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure exactly what she's doing. Yeah. She isn't really prepared to follow the same trodden path. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I, you have to admire. It's, yeah, I mean, go not where the path may lead, go where there is no path and leave a trail mm. is admirable. But there is a yes. trodden path. Yes, and it's, for a and reason. It's, yeah. yeah, and also, why not take advantage of, of learning other people's mistakes mm. and avoiding them? Mm. I mean, because there are mistakes you can make. And best thing to do is to talk to people, open your eyes at what who, what has gone before and go, oh, okay, that was a mistake. I, uh, let's avoid that. Mm. Um, I mean, the hell I do with my, my programming. Go, let's avoid mistakes. Yeah. Let's not repeat our mistakes. Uh, and if and then mo- it sort of needs to be some form of um, acknowledgement or awareness of certain things without, like, like, if a musician tells me that they don't care about the Beatles or they're not influenced on them, that doesn't make influenced by them. That doesn't make me sceptical. But if they tell me they've never heard of them, yeah, I, you know, or like, you know, maybe, maybe that's too bigger an example. But do you know what I mean? Like, to, for people to care not at all about certain people existing and doing the things before them is, is a little bit too much. Yeah. But to, to feel like you have to touch on every... Well, nowadays with so much media, mm. I mean, to not know about something, yes. maybe that fa- fact is that the, the sheer quantity of media that's available to people yes. means that less is learnt. Yeah. Because you've just got there's so much there. I mean, if you want to know about the Beatles, yeah. God knows, you can go on YouTube or whatever, yeah. you can download so much, all the songs, all the yeah. things that they've ever done. Same for comedy. I mean, you can research yeah. comedy for yeah. hours and yeah, days. you end up down wormholes. Yeah, and, yeah. So if yeah. you wanted to, you know, if you go, well, I really like Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. So you you search liner comedians yeah. and then you watch a hundred liner comedians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or even just search the ten best ones. Get yeah, Stephen Wright, right. Mitch Hedberg, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Carr, uh, Milton Jones. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you, you can get the ten best ones. You can very quickly watch them all and go, I really love that. I now have learnt something about the ten best liner comedians in the world. I'm going to pursue liner comedy. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, sort of why the, the, the saddest, dumbest retort these days is when someone, you, you mention someone and someone writes back, who? As a sort of an attempt that I've never heard of them, so they must be not important. Yeah. And it's like, well, good try, but, um, you know, the the very system that you're operating on, that computer that you've used to push those that smart-ass reply into place, would also quickly tell you the answer, and yeah. that's actually more important than trying to... You well, know, you've got two choices. You can either look informed or look like you don't care yes. about being informed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you are, what, do you, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who is inquisitive or the person who wants to be a know-all about nothing? Yeah. You know, so... Purposely alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, that doesn't say that <laughs> there aren't people like me who can be a bit tech... Um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um act like they, they they haven't got their fingers on the tech pulse yeah, yeah. and go, look, I don't know. I've got no idea about that. <laughs> yeah. And you go, I mean... I'm just I, waiting for my kid yeah, to get hard enough to run that for me. <laughs> I know, you're just yeah, waiting to download that. And I go, down, how do you download stuff? And yeah. I must admit, sometimes I go, I, I don't want to download. I'm afraid of bringing a virus onto my computer. <laughs> That's my other fear of downloads yeah. is that someone's going to infect my computer. The fact <laughs> that I don't know about that means I'm more likely to get infected some other way. <laughs> you know, my mum's probably going to send me a favourite family picture and, and and I'm going to go, well, mum doesn't know, mum knows a hundred times less than me, so her computer's going to have a virus in it. Yeah. So she's going to send me a family picture, which I'm now going to download a virus. I'm far more likely to get it that way than I am from downloading Louis C.K.'s latest album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
we haven't talked a whole lot about the classic as such. It's, it's, it's there in everything that we've said, but uh, uh, as we're going on and, and should probably look to wrap up at some point, yeah. um, it's maybe a strange way to phrase it, but when did you know the classic was going to last? You know, when did you get, from the early wobbly days of any, any venture like that, when did you go? Well, we had our, our sort of hit the wall after three years when we had to sort of liquidate what we had, you know, voluntarily liquidate and re restructure to, mm. for the future. And um, and I suppose nothing's ever been felt that certain after that. Mm. Uh, uh, to, at any point, really, you just, just kept on keeping on. We celebrated the 10th birthday and we made a bit of song and dance about the 15th. I mean, mm. every number seems like Everything a big counts. number. Yeah, 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 every yeah, number's yeah. a big number. And, and 20 seemed like the big, you know, obviously the biggest of the lot. And I, I never before have I gone sort of even at the fifteenth. I don't even think I was thinking about the twentieth or the twenty fifth. Right. Only with the twentieth anniversary have I gone. Oh, what can we do at the twenty fifth? Well, you know, yeah. Positively, yeah, we will be open. I say, what can we do at the twenty fifth? And we had funny discussion in the in the green room about what where we would all be at the fortieth, and how old we yeah. would all be at the fortieth, yeah. and 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 whether we would still be here. Uh, and of course, the fun thing is, and well, imagine we were. Um, imagine the role that the place would be playing. Imagine. Being able to at the 40th go, wow, who remembers 40 years ago? Mm. That sounds like uh, that, that's sounding like ancient history, yeah. Um, and and the, the, the club will continue to play a role. I suppose the question is, will comedy in its yes. form of stand up continue to play a role? And I have myself, I'm asking myself that often yeah. with, with new media, you know, and yeah, that's and, right, like, and you people. Go, you know, Netflix specials, you yeah. know, every major comedian is recording a Netflix special. So for every Netflix special they do, that probably means either less likely they'll tour New Zealand mm. or more likely they'll tour New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah, actually worked yeah. out that equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, people see these Netflix specials and they go, wow, have you seen that comedian? And, and it could increase the diet for the art form. Yes. Um, I am not watching, uh, my audiences are not dropping off with, yeah. with so you go, but I only seat 130 people, which is not yeah. a grand number. Um, so you go, well, maybe we will just continue to enjoy continued interest in stand-up comedy because there's no way my comedians are recording Netflix specials. Mm. So New Zealanders can't go, well, we're not going to bother going to the classic. We'll just wait for a New Zealand comedian to come out on Netflix. Um, it's probably not going to happen in any great yeah, hurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you want to see New Zealand comedy and and see local voices being funny because New Zealand audiences now believe that New Zealanders are funny, you've still got to come to the classic or maybe watch the occasional TV show. Yeah. Or yeah. Seven Days or the equivalent of whatever else happens next. Yeah. How long will Seven Days last? Certainly they beating, never thought they would be the there. Eight already, series. Right? Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. You know, yeah, I, and I, live shows. I remember and... when they got funding for the third series, they all sort of looked at each other and went, what? And, still and, I mean, this is... I'm being flippant, but I'm also being serious because I because I don't watch it. Is it funny? Is it a funny show? I hardly ever watch it. Yeah, yeah. Because but you I, know everyone that's on. Yeah, it and I know how it's it. made, and yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. not my. It isn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not appointment viewing, but I will sit down and watch it if I'm home on a Friday night. Yeah. Because they are my mates. Yeah, yeah. And I'm what I'm enjoying and watching Seven Days is watching some of my new faces emerging onto the show. Mm. So I'll sometimes hear that like Melanie Bracewell was on it recently, and Melanie had a new hair cut and uh, she took a fantastic I said wow that's a great new hairstyle and uh, and then she posted a picture of her on the panel I mean I must tune into seven yeah, days yeah, I, mean, yeah. I want to see how she comes across on TV because she's coming across so well on stage and she looked fantastic on screen which is part of the battle um, when you're on television you yeah. want to be TV camera friendly yeah 
she looked fantastic. She had some great lines. And I was really, I went, wow, you won the Raw Comedy Quest uh, three years ago. And look at you now. Mm. You know, mm. that is, that's what it's about. Positive, yeah. realistic development. Well, I then use that to encourage yeah, yeah. new talent. I go, look, you're in doing the Royal Comedy Quest this year. If you're wondering what the journey is, what sort of, what the benchmarks are, let's look at, say, Melanie, the winner from 2015. Yeah. She's done this, 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 and this. Yeah. Um, you've got Angela Dravid. This, this is Billy T, David Corios. They're all examples of, well, here you go. This is the journey you can go on. Mm, mm. Um, and, of course, that encourages young people to try doing comedy and to try harder mm. um, and they realise the sort of work they've got to put in to reach that point mm. um, who yeah. is your who do you think is your favourite all time New Zealand comedian who do you think of if you, you know such a shit question but if you well, have to name one person who do you think means the most like for you um, the person who most emulates my journey and probably yes. has I wouldn't say inspired me, um, uh, but uh, it was Brendan Lovegrove because our journey has been so similar. Yes. I got to see him go on stage and he is still still incredibly relevant in the scene, still right at the front line, still pulling out the big gigs. And um, it's still his primary... Still his primary, yeah, Focus, you know, like yeah. that original crowd you've got, you know, and, and around that time you've got people like Mike King that move out of doing it and then yeah, doing yeah. other things and you and Gil and, obviously passed away. And yeah, and, and all of them will have probably really um, been a favourite of mine at one time or another. Mm. Brendan consistently... Um, he puts in so much of an effort in training new comedians. You know, people don't appreciate how much time he spends with new comedians, encouraging them, giving them little pointers, um, helping them get over the humps. So Brendan does all that, and so I admire that. And I'm probably my brief association with Flight of the Concords. I'm quite mm. proud of. Oh, probably yeah, someone I'm really proud of is the boy with tape on his face, mm -hmm. who we found in the streets of Christchurch as a busker and brought him onto the pulp comedy TV show to to do a three-minute new faces slot because he was doing something different. Um, I I brought him and his girlfriend to Auckland. Gave them a got a job for them doing comedy at Sky City Casino, which was a really well-paying job for three years, which got them started in comedy and helped gave him the stage to do Boy With Tape On His Face for the first time. He mm. developed the act at the Classic um, and then has enjoyed global success, UK success. So I've been involved in his journey all the way along. I went to his wedding. Mm. Um, you know, my wife and I were invited as guests. I have... I have given away comedians at their weddings because their fathers are no longer around. You mm. know, female mm. comedians have got You are their comedy I'm their father. comedy dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have given wow. away people at their weddings. I have emceed some comedians' weddings. Wow. I'm very proud to be invited to those things. So yeah. being the family, I mean, they're, they're a big, giant, dysfunctional family. Yes. But it's fun having these children. Yeah. Uh, nothing like the two of my actual children, but they are, a lot of them are my children. Yeah. And seeing their, their lives and their careers develop. So there are a few there like have mm. had big journeys with, like mm. Sam Wells, boy with tape on his face, mm. and Brendan, um, Reese Matthewson. Mm -hmm. um, it almost it's almost like his father passed over the reins of fatherhood <laughs> to me at some point. Yeah. His dad's a, a, is a fun guy, uh, but it, it, you know he Reese is his own man. Yeah. Um, he back then he was his own boy. Also, Reese was a tap dancer, so the, he, we had uh, a connection, a connection, a, in my old, of, my old hoofer days yes. of dancing. <laughs> oh, Reese, and so I love it when he started putting tap dancing in his act. Um, and so Reese is one who's also gone through the whole journey of the mm. classic and is now 
writing for the project. He's on the project panel. He's turning in fantastic performances. Uh, we, we were laughing that at the, at the 40th anniversary of the classic, mm. Reese Matthewson will be there and he'll still be younger than Brendan Lovegrove is now. <laughs> so Reese has been a stand-up comedian since he was 16 yeah. years old. Wow. So we, yes, I have, I've ruined his life. Yeah, yeah. If it all goes wrong now, he will blame me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he... He has ruined your life, so that, that's no. why you're still in it. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never done it for the money. And no. If the pays the bills, fantastic, but it feeds the soul. Yeah. And if anything, I've gone and put my eggs in one basket. There's nothing else I can do. I'm pretty unemployable. Um, uh, <laughs> I could probably consult. Um, so maybe someone needs a comedy consultant, mm. uh, one of those big arts institutions with millions of dollars to spend, mm. who wants to spend it on comedy. They might tap into my brain. But otherwise, I'm pretty unemployable. Actually, that's an interesting <laughs> point. I noticed that um, the international, the Wellington International Arts Festival has got a couple of comedy acts in it next year. And it seems to me that it's the first time, certainly the first time no, it's in, not, in no. a long while. A long while, but they have yeah. had them in the past. Right. Yeah. Seems maybe ages they've, since they They may have. have just decided not to do that previously because the comedy festival was doing it and they mm. may have stayed away from it. But yeah. there's no reason why some acts that are out there shouldn't be in Well, I was going to say that speaks to how robust the festival and the industry is that it can sneak back into yeah. you know associated things you know well uh the, you know there are comedians that sit better probably in an arts festival yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, and they yeah. might in a comedy festival yeah yeah uh, and it does increase the diversity of your arts festival yeah um for sure you know uh, this is the thing with a strange beast of com you know i've had comedians message me and just and get into discussions around what i do and don't like and and they sort of for every time they you know, have me pegged for liking a particular thing. I'll mention something that that they think I would hate and I love, <laughs> and vice versa. You know, like, and it's, you know, isn't that one of the wonderful things about it that it, that really it's quite an unpredictable, incredibly subjective. Yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. Yeah, but they, quite an unpredictable format that you know the thing that you think is going to go over with someone doesn't, and vice versa. Yeah, um, yeah. That uh, sometimes people go, you know, uh, what's funny? What are, and you go well. If I knew exactly what New Zealanders <laughs> found funny, I'd probably be a lot more wealthier than, yeah. uh, and uh, I'd have my own house and, and things. oddly, you know, yeah. a lot less fulfilled. <laughs> you yeah, know, this, probably. This is the uh, thing about I would hate that, to be too certain about this stuff. Is the stuff that, this is the thing about stuff that sort of nourishes the soul, isn't it? Well, it's every that, year you know, I bring a new crop of international comedians to the festival, and I'm never so certain that they're all going to work. Yeah. You know, I might go, well, I might think they're going to work, but I can be proved wrong. But that, that's lovely. I get very nervous in April. Because yeah, I've normally yeah. invested a lot of time and money in the International Comedy Festival, and I'm yet to be proven in April whether yeah. the festival in May, whether I was right or wrong. Yeah. I don't find that out until around about the 20th of May wow. um, when the festival is over, and then I can go, oh, thank God for that. It's, we can eat again. It's a, it's, I can eat again. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah, how does, yeah, I mean, how does that sit with the family, like your actual uh, family, not the comedy not family? Not great. I, f yeah. I, got, I managed to get myself <laughs> sick this year, and my wife said it was stress and tension. Mm. So I have to try and avoid that in the future. Uh, I maybe not. Maybe my metabolism isn't up to that stress anymore. Um, mm. I probably have to pace myself a bit better. I might leave it to. Uh, I might hire someone to take greater risks and to take all the stress on board. That yeah. might be the trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, that sounds like a perfect job for me. I'd, yeah. do, I'd do really well at that, wouldn't I? Well, we should get you. Up. We should get you in as one of the judges of yeah. New Zealand oh, comedy. How man. would you go as a judge I, for the Raw Comedy Quest? I, I would. I would enjoy that challenge. Yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah. Be, I'd have to. Um, I would have to do. Some we might have to work our way through. Uh, yeah. A small minefield on the way yes. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Work on some disguises. 
<laughs> hey, we should leave it there because because uh, otherwise we could go for another couple of hours. Yep, but yep, um, yep. it was a great pleasure to talk to you about um, about so many things. And as you say, like one of the most subjective art forms, um, cultural uh, yep. vices for people. It's just such a it's such a sublime and ridiculous and weird topic, isn't it? And mm. it's and it's amazing that. You talk about stand-up comedy and, and people have a particular picture of it, but yeah. it's never exactly just one thing. You definitely, you can't put a frame around it. You can't put it in a box. Mm. And that's really good. I think it's yeah. really important. I think if you can put comedy in a box, it's not how it should be. Mm. You know, comedy needs to be a little bit of a wild animal, um, a little bit dysfunctional. Mm. Uh, not everyone's cup of tea. Maybe the black sheep of the arts family. Yeah, yeah. We probably are the black sheep of the arts yes, family. Yeah. We don't get a lot of arts funding. No, um, no, I, I no. bet. There will be worthier people out there who think yes. they should get that. Serious stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>